Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 1st of July of 2020. I am Nick here with Chris, and things are going great. So good right now. No, no complaints at all whatsoever about what's going on, what we're going to talk about this week. Everything is great. Everything is fine. It's fine! It's all, it's all peachy. It's, it's, it's interesting because if you go onto Twitter, uh, like on mobile, and you go to like explore the first thing they send you is just like tweets related to the interests or the local area you're from so like that's what your trending topics are and every every time i i click it pencil tucky is trending and i'm always like i don't need to know what has happened to cause it to trend i just can already know what it is by the nature of everything that's currently going on it's 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 a it's a bad thing yeah Pencil Tucky. Oh god, I don't even want to know the details of that. I can my imagination is conjuring up bad images and I know that it's it's probably gonna be even worse. So it's honestly it's not as bad as you're probably thinking. It's just a a, a great wide acknowledgement that Pennsylvania is a state that has two very liberal cities to the either end. And then the middle, it, for some reason, people fly Confederate flags, which doesn't make sense. This is one of like the most union states there was. But hey, you know what? There's crazy people. And uh, there you go. All right. So let's talk about this manga about a dude being reincarnated into the body of a boy and he's a necromancer. So let's do yeah. that. Mount Death Play. That is a very easy title to have to speak. Mm-hmm. And definitely doesn't do have any uh, sequences of syllables and words that make it uh, easy to get caught up on. This is a series by the writer of the Bacchano books. Uh, for those of you not familiar, it primarily take place on like this train uh, and there was an anime series that was popular in the 2000s. Uh, and um, how do I describe this series? Because it's kind of hard to sum up. It's occasionally it plays at being dark, uh-huh. but mostly it seems to be kind of lighthearted in its approach to dark matters and doesn't really take them seriously. But sometimes it does. And sometimes it's like finding good people in the underworld, but then it's about, no, these guys are all assholes. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting series. Uh, now correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this is the, the manga cut from stealth symphony. Is, I don't think it is. Ryogo Narita. I'm probably butchering that name, but I'm looking at a Wikipedia of all of Ryogo Narita's wor- works, and Deathbound Deathplay is on there and says that they're the manga cover from Stealth Symphony. That explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, so it, it, this, this is a series with some very interesting elements to it. And, and to, to sum up very quickly, because we'll, we'll have a lot of series to talk about, and as we've kind of alluded to, uh, this isn't a great week of manga. This is something that I actually do have some relatively good feelings on as a series. 
this is a weird series though. The first yes. the first chapter creates this idea that you're you're reading something completely different and it almost yeah. has like as as yeah, people right. mentioned the same writer, different different artists but same yeah. writer. So but it's this idea of almost like kind of a reverse isekai for a hot moment and you're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Uh that isn't really as relevant and suddenly this this context that this evil necromancer has been flung forward into the future, you're like Oh no, he was the good guy all along, it seems. And uh, there's a lot of murder and violence and insanity, but it finds its way to ground itself for human moments, basically like once per chapter, almost like it's like a like a sitcom, and they're like, hold on, get get back to square one. We need we need solid moment to ground our characters in their humanity. Um, anyway, this assassin's got giant tits. Uh-huh. There's a lot of that going on. Um, and all these factors kind of similar to Stealth Symphony and the insanity that that was at the end. This series feels like it has a very difficult job in sort of nailing down exactly what it is. And in that way similar to Stealth Symphony's ending, it's going to be probably very polarizing because either you're going to probably dig it or you're going to be like, all right, well, that was a, a clusterfuck. Let's let's move on to the next thing. Uh, but I generally seem to really enjoy the series. Um, not to like cut it as like a five second review or anything like that, but just like to give a quick summation, I want to note, like I, I, I enjoy this series. This is fun. I will say I enjoyed the series, but I did not enjoy it a lot. And uh, I finished reading this. Basically, I was prepared to discuss this last week. So I kind of have left it alone for a week. And now I'm trying to remember stuff that has happened in it. And I'm mostly failing. Uh, So, I mean, I remember, you know, the general premise, basically. But I can't remember anyone's names. uh, And I can't really remember what anyone's motivations were beyond... Uh, get paid. So, <laughs> so the closest I can say is I want to say his name's Polka. Uh, it the, is. That well, is the it's name. technically not his name. It's, it's not the, technically him. It's the name of the body he's inhibiting. The corpse god, I believe, is his yeah. is his original title. The corpse god was this uh, necromancer who uh, you practiced necromancy back in the Middle Ages or whenever in. Seemingly an alternate timeline because there was magic involved in it and he ends up in like regular modern day Japan, uh, indicating that it's an alternate timeline uh, where that he's come from where magic exists and now he's in one where it doesn't really. Hmm. Uh, And so he had built this reputation as this very powerful necromancer that's, you know, the like the ultimate bad guy in the realm that the heroes had to defeat and stuff. But it turns out from his perspective, he started practicing necromancy because, you know, he wanted to just kind of keep things around him alive. But the more that he used it, the more it affected him. It turned him into this, you know, walking corpse, this walking skeleton, despite the fact that he was a walking skeleton. Apparently, seemingly, he was actually able to find someone who was able to love him and they started a family together. And then because they had been touched by necromancy, uh, they were, you know, branded as abominations and killed and so the corpse god as he came to be known 
kept on having to uh, either retaliate or defend himself until he got stronger and stronger and became and grew more and more of a reputation for killing people and resurrecting their corpses who stood in his way until he was this larger than life uh, creature. And so we have the it's a play on, you know, the first episode basically of Samurai Jack or, you know, the ultimate being is is being confronted by the hero. And it looks as though there is the moment where as they're having a clash in the first chapter where it looks as though the hero, the knight who's facing off against him, has been flung into the future where my evil is law. But then by the end of the chapter, it's revealed that actually it's the corpse god who has been flung into the future. And he takes over the body of this boy who was recently assassinated for some reason uh, by a girl. And um, so the corpse god takes over the body of Polka and um, he gets caught up in this underground uh, assassination ring. And because he still has some uh, of his necromantic powers, uh, he prevents them from killing him. And they're like, you know what? Maybe we should just work with this guy instead. <laughs> he seems like he's better off as an ally than an enemy. So. It seems like this would be the easier thing in the long run to do rather than to try to kill the magic ghost monster so polka as he kind of just takes over because it's less of a weird name than the corpse god in modern day japan um he has very simple goals which is just like i want to live a life where no one will fucking bother me (laughs) (laughs) because i'm a a horrible skeletal demon uh god and so in order to do that he has to get to a point where his magic is strong enough or he's got enough money one way or the other. And so he's got to accumulate wealth and power in order to get to a point where he can just retire in peace, essentially. And that's the main thing driving him uh, at the start of this. So, yeah. And this, the series does a, a pretty good job of slowly building up its world. Uh, we, you start off with this, this kind of secret crime organization of some extent that polka is now kind of having affiliation with and then we start to expand to like the i don't know what they specifically like the group seems to be like a supernatural police force i guess uh but they they have like a, a trio of targets that they're like hey We've caught a lot of people, but we haven't caught these three. And you slowly start to like find out more details about these three names, and they are these these very imposing figures. Uh, and and it's 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 good. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking a bit more about police as we get into this this recap. But I, I, I for the most part, I think the story is is fun. It is not amazing. I would 100% agree with that. Um, I I will probably also agree that in two weeks' time, I will also be unable to name any character from this series. But I think if this were a series that were running in Jump, I would be very happy reading it week to week. This is still an ongoing series. It's actually quite a young series, honestly. It's been going for probably, I think, about half a year, I would say. Because uh, it's only like 20 chapters long. It might be it might it's, be a monthly series. It's Yeah, I was going to say it started in 2018. OK, so it's it's a, it's a monthly series that's only a couple of years old. So it's not that far into its story. Um, and 
I mean, I will say I do like Polka. Uh, I think that he's an interesting protagonist to follow because he does have that, you know, like Isekai kind of protagonist thing going on in terms of his situation. But because it's in reverse, he's a much more interesting character. He's this, you know, bizarre entity that's taking over the body of a regular of a regular kid as opposed to a regular kid taking over the body of a bizarre entity. Um, and he has some interesting philosophies. I like how um, there's a very weird thing to kind of justify him being the hero while being a necromancer who literally um, kills and then zombifies his female lead in the first couple of chapters. Um, because in defending himself, he ends up killing the assassin who killed who killed his original uh, the 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 original polka. But when he does that, he's like, oh, well, that's not good. So he brings her back as a zombie. Um, and she's got all of her personality and stuff, unfortunately, because her personality is shit. Uh, and but he talks about how he says, like, yeah, for me, you know, human lives are playthings. You know, I can just, you know, manipulate them. I can get their spirits to do whatever I want. But then he says, but, you know, for me. Human soul humans are toys, but toys make children happy. And so that's why human lives are precious to me. So it's a really bizarre way. It's like it's almost like, you know, getting you to buy like a sociopath as a hero in a way where, you know, there's like, okay, well, I mean, they may not empathize with people very well, but they're still bent on doing good things. So that's okay. (laughs) It's just that there's something wrong with this guy. Which is fine because he's a necromancer, so you don't expect him to be that way. So I do really like Polka. It's just that I didn't really like anyone else in the story, honestly. Uh, either they were kind of forgettable or they were just weird and were there to show off their boobs, honestly. So There are a couple characters that it feels like there's definitely more of them to explore. I can't remember her name, but uh, the hostess of the sexy club. Oh, the Mercy Yellow girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I like, there's obviously something I think more to her to discover or, or just more layers to dig into with her. Uh, both of the detectives are intriguing. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how sort of like a, a third party kind of exists in this world. Someone who's trying to be justice, although the cops aren't the nicest people. Uh, but they do seem to have at least some rules they have to abide by. Like they refuse to engage with someone when they're like, oh shit, this is kind of a public area and we have to, we are bound to protect innocent people. So there's elements there. Um, I think the one dude I'm not really crazy on at all so far is, is visor guy. The, the guy who looks like Jordy, uh, fuck, what's his name from? Jordy LaForge. Yeah, that that's it. He, I, think I wouldn't describe him like that. He wears like a regular ass VR headset. So. But he never takes it off. So I'm like, is it fused to your eyes? <laughs> um, I'm not crazy on him. And I agree. The the, the main female character, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on everybody's names, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Uh, she... She's a very much like crazy girl anime stereotype. Like, imagine a more sexualized Toga, basically. Yeah. Um, She's the crazy girl who's there to be the crazy girl. And it's 
I think that this series does have a problem with fetishizing like every female character that's in it. Honestly, um, it's 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 a mark against it. But I think that if you enjoy the rest of the series, it's not that bad. It's more just no. like a thing that kind of pops up occasionally than it is like, oh, there was another disgusting example. It's like it's pretty regular stuff. There's showing boobs and then there's girls having sex like it's. It's it, at the very least, it's not the kind of fan service where I see it and I, and I go like, oh, you're an awful person. You know, it's so. there's there's an, an element in the first sort of big chapter about her where she dies and then is being brought back to life. There is an entire flashback to show that she has reached a point where she kind of doesn't care about anything anymore and she's actually just thinking, like, I guess I'll just kill myself because I've kind of done everything. I've done as much evil and awful things as I could do in this world. I'm just going to die. And then she's brought back as a zombie, literally someone who cannot die at all. So there's there's an intriguing element. And I, I can almost guarantee that this will lead to more stuff. It's just in a chapter to chapter like ratio. She exists mostly as fan service. And it's just kind of there. So I'm not going to act like this is the worst thing in the world. But it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't really have much strong feelings about her. Because after, like, the second chapter, I kind of forget she exists most of the time. Well, and I'm sure also that there are so many examples of characters like her that are worse that you're just kind of like, this doesn't fa- this. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> that's this hops over the bar that's on the ground in terms of my <laughs> Nick. We still have to discuss Akiyashi Triangle this week or Ayakashi Triangle. It so. doesn't matter. All right. Um, yeah, I. I imagine that if you read the first few chapters of, of this that you'll get a relatively good idea of the tone. It takes actually a little while to really get a firm grip on like who Polka is and what he's about. Mm -hmm. But once you get to that point where it's like, all right, I feel like I understand this character. I think by that point, you'll also have a feeling of, will I like this series or not? Um, So if you think that you would be into crime boss, necromancer dude if that's you know a good you know three word uh pitch to you then sure check it out uh-huh. uh if you think that that's stupid then obviously don't um but i don't really feel very strongly about this i liked some of it and i forgot about most of the rest so yeah, that's I, so i'll say if this is a series you're interested in checking out you can find it a lot of places actually is getting an english release so you can find physical versions a lot of places even target i saw like i remember typing in uh dead mount death play and like a link to target came up i was like target selling manga now that's new uh but i believe yen press also uh is where you can buy some of the volumes as well so you can check them out there so okay then yeah this this is a fun series I'll, i'll 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 leave it at that uh, I don't know if I digested enough of it to be able to say in a wide range how I feel about it, but if someone told me like two years from now, they're like, holy crap, that series got incredible. I'd be like, you know what? I could see that. And I'm very happy that the author from Stealth Symphony is working. Well, I think the Bacchano novels are like still coming out too. So, um, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the recap portion with the manga recap because we have a bunch of series to talk about, Chris. And 
not all of them were good this week. All right, let's do it. Let's get it over with. Let's let's ease our, ourselves into it with My Hero Academia. Number 276, you cheated! Um, which is a bit odd, but okay. So we open this chapter with actually like a news report about stuff that's going on in Jaku City. Uh, you know, there, there are buildings crumbling, there's rubble, uh, you know, there's reports on the evacuation and fighting that's going on. And uh, stuff is being compared to, you know, events that have happened in the past year. And, you know, just the question of like, what the hell is going on? And what's that? What's happening to Japan in general? Where is our country headed? And while uh, this stuff is being gone over, we have cuts to the familial and parental figures, uh, basically, uh, to see how they're either reacting to the news or just seeing what they're up to while this is going on. Because the only people that we actually see are aware of all these events are All Might and Aerie, who are watching uh, a TV together. Um, or rather, they're they're on All Might's computer, but All Might's, like, sweating. So either he's concentrating very hard on looking after that kid while also working, or he's watching a news report. <laughs> so... But like, you know, we see uh, Midori- Midoriya's uh, mom, we see uh, Todoroki's family in their various locations, we see Bakugo's mother, and we see All for One still in his prison cell, still acting all smug because he's got a plan. So, uh, And then we cut around to see where some of the heroes are up to. Then we see Shigaraki, who is currently falling through the air, and he says into the radio to uh, Gigantomachia, kill every person you see. Which seems like a little bit of an oversight to me, because where we first saw him when he was being contacted, he was surrounded by Shigaraki's allies. But I'm sure that he'll mostly work out for him. Yeah. It's also a weird touch because we learned that Shigaraki actually can control what his powers disintegrate now, as opposed to just everything disintegrating if it's subjected to his power. And so he was like, yeah, I made sure not to disintegrate my allies with that ability. And now he's just like, yeah, kill everyone. It's fine. It's fine. Kill all the people that I didn't disintegrate. It's fine. Uh, there's a very odd moment here. Literally, every time that I have gone through this chapter thus far, I have just had the thought, why does that fucking matter? What are you and, talking about? He flies to a magic ring and it shoots him <laughs> upwards. So... Endeavor has this. How psychic. else would a man who uses fire to fly go up? I don't. Come on, Nick. I need to know. So there's this. So Endeavor has this sidekick named Keto, and Keto looks like a mummy with like a coat and pants on, and he makes a ring with his head bandages, and Endeavor flies through the ring, and he's flying horizontally when he goes through it, and then it tilts him upward, and we're introduced to Keto's quirk, which is traject. Can alter the body, the can alter the course of bodies in motion, and so I see this happen, and I just think, why didn't Endeavor just tilt himself slightly upwards? <laughs> he, he could so, have just. <laughs> so yeah, logically, he should just be able to do it. My assumption is that this is a setup, that this is this is to show what his ability could do before it is actually super relevant. Before, because if this was just something, if this was a moment where where Horikoshi was like, I don't think I ever established how he goes up. <laughs> <laughs> Better make a new superhero that exclusively exists to let Endeavor go up. Uh, so, you know, I assume it's going to play off at some point coming up. 
Much more importantly, one of the things that we see is Manuel, whom you, some of you may recall was the hero that Ida did his uh, hero course work with, uh, is using his water ability to keep uh, Aizawa's eyes hydrated while he's maintaining his quirk. So this way he doesn't have to blink while he's t- keeping Shigaraki from using his quirk. So that's a that's like, all right, that's a little nifty little detail. Cool. Endeavor tries to kill Shigaraki. He does. does it work? Like, no. Aww. <laughs> but he just just goes and tries to launch this massive wave of fire at Shigaraki. And Shigaraki, in midair, gets out of the way. And so they're like, how the fuck did he do that? His quirk has been disabled. None of the quirks that are in his body should work right now. And Endeavor realizes, oh, he isn't using a quirk for this. He's just on top of everything else, shredded as fuck now. And Ujiko down on the ground with present Mike still hauling him around is just like, yes, we remodeled his body, which should have been, you should have overburned his brain, but we remodeled him. But, you know, not as much as we, you know, he's really strong now. He's very strong. Mm-hmm. So he's shredded. That's what they did to him. Yep. They, they hit that little button and shriveled. He was going in and he came out looking like Chris Evans. It was just like that Marvel movie. That's the name. I can't remember. <laughs> you never remember that one. <laughs> no, I can't remember it. What's that shield behind me? Do you recognize that? Do you uh, no, I think that's uh, Brother like the flag Vo- of Cuba, maybe. Is that know. Brother Voodoo? Brother know. Voodoo? <laughs> yeah, he's a character. <laughs> I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I can only base uh, on, I can only guess he has voodoo powers. Unless he's a new and, age uh, X-Men, he might be able to fly through time or something like that. And, is there and like, also he's considered like a, a close companion to people. He's like a brother. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I I think there was a point where I thought I heard that they were considering putting him in Doctor Strange 2. And I was like, oh, good. We could just continue the trend of every Marvel movie's uh, second iteration introducing the black friend to the superhero. <laughs> Like everyone is already a black character in Doctor Strange. I know, but they need a friend for him now. Baron Mordo is a bad guy. No, no, no. He's a, no. He's just killing. He's just killing all the sorcerers. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Manuel and Rocklock are helping Aizawa get around. As we are reminded, oh yeah, that that one Nomu grabbed his leg. Apparently, fucking broke it. So that sucks. Uh, Ryukyu is trying to get Shigaraki and. Um, Something happens. There's there a thing goes boom. Something happens. Anyway, Gran Torino drops off uh, Bakugo and Deku somewhere away from the battle, and uh, they just kind of talk for a bit. And they he recaps stuff, and he's like, "I'm going to go and help keep Erase, Eraser Mobile, so you guys stay here." And Deku's like, "No!" And Gran Torino just points out, "Look, if this guy steals all for one for all from you, then." That's the worst case scenario. Uh, meanwhile, all the heroes are converging on Chigaraki. And they're, they're literally like, they say, if this many of us can't get the job done, what's the point of there being all these heroes in society? Meanwhile, like inverse ninja law is hella kicking in right now. So, But at just that moment, as the heroes are making way, their way through stuff, Gran Torino and Deku and Bakugo see through dust clouds from the debris that uh, came from the hospital collapsing, a whole bunch of Nomu. 
And it's weird because their reaction to it is almost comedic. The way that they have the reaction to these monsters coming. So it kind of takes a little bit of the impact out of the moment for me, I think. Seeing them go, monsters. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit. Shigaraki somehow beats up Endeavor. I guess that might have been the boom earlier. I don't know. He took some fire damage because, you know, his side is kind of crispy now. Uh, and then Shigaraki's like, hey, remember that one time that you won that one fight and you lifted your hand up? Yeah, I- I'm doing that now because I just beat you up. Continuity, callbacks, callbacks. It's it's it. It makes the manga more rewarding if you remember stuff that happened previously. So it's like when a wrestler beats another wrestler and they taunt them with their own little like uh, their their like little flourish move or whatever. Oh, so what he's doing doing is he's like, you can't see me. Yeah, it's exact. It's Randy Orton just beat John Cena, and he's gonna stand over him and do the "you can't see me." It's okay. It's okay. Cena's gonna get back at him by <laughs> pounding the mat excessively before hitting his finisher. Uh, now, Nick, if I recall correctly, uh, John Cena and Randy Orton only met once over their career, though, right? <laughs> <Once>. <laughs> they had one match over their career. If I, I, I'm trying to recall if they ever had more than one, but. They definitely can get into 20 one-on-one matches. Remember when somebody was like, John Cena and Randy Orton is like the Rock Austin feud of its era. And you're like, no, Rock Austin had like three feuds total, basically. Like, they didn't really fight that much. You can always say that because that was like the one feud between like 2006 to 2008, pretty much. They were the only ones who were important enough to matter when they feuded against each other. Yeah. Uh, so we get an explanation of what the hell these Nomu are after Shigaraki explains like, yeah, I can fine tune my decay. So I, I spared them so that I would have this army working for me. And, um, we also get an explanation that he, uh, is controlling them through this like combination of quirks that lets him send out a radio pulse to signal them and stuff. Uh, Ujiko refers to these as near high ends because, uh, they are mindless, unlike the high-end Nomus, but they're still very strong and modified, and they have they're they're still experimental. Anyway, they're bad news, basically. Uh, Gran Torino is like, oh shit, they're going to go and take out Aizawa, and if Aizawa gets taken out, then that means that we're going to get fucked because Shigaraki is going to have all of his quirks. So he tells Deku and Bakugo to stay hidden but um they don't they they, they, they rush really, yeah shigaraki rushes in towards aizawa and of course nobody can actually stand against him even when he's just you know using his super chris evans ness uh so you know like rock lock tries to get in the way and he's just like no just goes right past him <laughs> jukes the fuck out of him uh Aizawa has, you know, tries to get ready to defend himself. He draws his blade and he's like, you know, I can't I can't die yet. You know, if I die, then there will be no one left to hold him back. And I have to watch over my students until they graduate and become heroes. And he has this big moment where he you know, cries out. I was like, no, you're in the way, Shigaraki, as he thinks about all the people in class 1A and also Shinso. Shinso's there, too. He's in the shot. Hey, hey, look, he remembered Ojiro. He better have remembered Shinso. Yeah, there you go. 
But Shigaraki's rushing towards Aizawa. Gran Torino's rushing in, but it looks like he's just short. He's just going to miss him. But instead, Deku comes flying in and tackles the hell out of Shigaraki to stop him. And Bakugo comes in, flying in from behind as well. And the both of them are thinking of all the times that Aizawa has stood up for them and defended them and protected them. And Bakugo screams out, it's our turn now. I actually really really like this chapter. Uh, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hectic energy to it. I really like how Shigaraki is being built up as this unstoppable person. And literally, like, they're all just holding on by this one thing. They've got the they're basically the heroes are basically holding down their We win if there's only one of you button. And even so, they're struggling to take this one guy down. So it seems as though if Aizawa, again, even so much as blinks, that things are going to turn really, uh, really bad, really, really quickly. And there's a lot of tension being built up in this as now Deku is throwing himself back into danger. So I can see why a lot of people dig it. I'm not crazy high on this chapter. I'm not super excited that Shinzo was just given a buff upgrade. And because of it, he can overpower Endeavor, even while Endeavor is kind of that fighting at full power that just felt kind of a little bit disappointing but i i can see why people dug it and uh i'm looking forward to seeing what's happening i do enjoy that there's a lot of hectic effort in this this big endeavor to protect somebody and it's it, it's a nice way of saying of having a big encounter that isn't just let's see if two people can punch each other and which one will punch harder in the end basically mm-hmm Okay, Chris. Let's move on to to a new manga, another manga, a different manga. The only manga manga. that wasn't this one. Actage, chapter 118, or scene 118, Den of Ogres. So Satsuki arrives um, at a place, and Ren Tamaki is there, and Kei is there with Yuki, whose name I learned last week in a way that everyone was around to see. So, mm-hmm. uh, Kay starts to say something to Ren in terms of like, hey, I've got an idea because, you know, all three of us are supposed to play this one person. But before she can say that, Sasuke suddenly arrives and uh, she greets Ren and is really happy to see her and stuff and is, you know, kind of like kind of fangirling over her and stuff. And then, of course, since Sasuke is there, Kay, you know, crouches down next to her and is like patting her in the head. and is like, oh, you're so cute and all, and all that stuff. And then Ren grabs her attention, and when Kay turns around, she pokes her right in the cheek. And she I, I don't really get this. She calls Kay's name, and then when Kay turns, she pokes her and says, monkeys always look. Which, I don't know if that's like a thing, but it seems like it's a thing, because I can't think of anything in the series itself that it's referencing. But she pokes Kay in the cheek, and is like, you're a cutie too, and Kay gets really pissed off about this. And she's like, I don't like her. So I do like this little thing that, you know, Kay likes to dote on Satsuki because she's a cute little kid. And then, of course, when Ren does it to her, she's like, stop treating me like I'm a little kid. It's it's a nice little reflection. Uh-huh. And even then, like when Satsuki starts speaking again, Kay immediately is just like, you know, get down at her level talking with her and, and stuff again. And it's like, you're so cute. So. She's very ignorant of the uh, of the irony of it, basically. 
Natsu, one of the girls that Kay was uh, auditioning against, is also there. Apparently she has some sort of minor role. We don't really get a confirmation how she's involved in this project, but she is also there. Uh, so they talk a little bit about stuff that's going on, and um, Satsuki is fangirling over Ren still. And she says, hey, you know, you might want to be a little bit late for, for the meeting since you're the lead. And Ren's like, well, no, I can't do that. I'm in no position to go acting uppity. That place is a den of ogres. Compared to them, I'm an angel. Um, that doesn't really get carried across in the rest of this chapter as we actually see it's that. It's a den meeting. of ogres, Nick. It seems like there's one ogre in this in this because uh, everyone else is kind of like just, you know, professional and nice. So <laughs> I don't really get it. Uh, we get to meet the, the script writer for the series and he goes, he's like, yeah, I'm Shuji Kusami. And I actually originally turned this project down because of who Manami uh, Yakushiji was. Uh, and I didn't think that I was fit to tell the story. But then I found out that her own daughter was going to be playing the role of her grandmother, Fumio. So. Uh, that was when I, you know, reconsidered this and decided, yeah, okay, I'll do this. And so mommy, uh, Yakushiji introduced herself and she's like actually there in like a kimono. So she's got this very, you know, like older, uh, appearance to her. And she talks about how important Manami was to her. She says she was more than me to me than just a mother. She was more of a revered t uh, teacher. And she saw me not as a daughter, but as a rival. What a loving family. Uh, and she says, I would have loved to play her myself if I were 30 years younger. And taking a little bit of a snipe at Ren, who's just like, yeah, I can relate to that. I get what you're going for. Because she was, of course, talking about that same thing last chapter about how actors have to take roles within a certain age range. And then they lose their chance. Uh -huh. Various people talk. We don't have any indication who these people are or what they're going to be involved with, but it's like, here are some faces. Get used to seeing them. And I'm sure we'll learn more about them later. Uh, Satsuki points out to Kay, she whispers to her, there are all these people at the press event and they didn't invite us. And Kay's just like, well, you know, we're just playing the main character as a young girl. And Sasuke's like, well, I'm going to make them regret that they didn't invite me to the press event. And Kay agrees with her when she looks forward at Ren and she's like, yeah, it's frustrating to have people who are above us. Um, but then Manami or Mommy rather turns and looks over her shoulder at Kay and Satsuki and just says, it is much too difficult for children nowadays to play my mother. Manami lived in a humble household with during an age without TV or smartphones or rock and roll music or Walkmans <laughs> or or fruit by the foot. Or... I had to walk up the hill both ways to get to school. And yeah, she she says like, yes, Ren Tamaki might be able to play it, but for little Arisa quit the acting world so young, so I'm concerned. And so I guess the implication that they're talking about is that our, since Arisa quit so young, it means she was shit as an actress. And as a result of that, anyone who works for her, she thinks, is shit too, which is giant ass broad strokes. <laughs> it is, but I could absolutely see how somebody who were kind of established to be this petty of a bitch would make those connections. So 
Satsuki starts to get really upset about this because she's like, geez, she's talking so disrespectfully about this person who, you know, does so much for me and Arisa. But, you know, she just she literally grins and bears it. She puts on a smile. and She's like, oh, thank you for your current concern. I'm going to try and do my best. So so they basically start to move on to the next parts in the meeting. And instead, Kay stands up and she says, the three of us pledge to do justice to the role of Manami. And when we do. I hope you'll apologize to Satsuki. And mommy just kind of looks over her shoulder at Kay and says, and who might you be? I can't see you very well. So you'll have to. It doesn't help that I am not turning around to address you. I'm just doing the creepy, like horror movie villain. Like I'll twist my head all the I'm way actually around. The camera on the wall. This I'm actually looking at the security camera on the ceiling, ninety degrees to my left, because I don't feel like talking to you because you sound young and you scare me. My back Maybe locked up. Have any money? <laughs> My back just locked up and I'm too proud, I'm too prideful to, to admit it, so I shall only turn my neck slightly. I go to the hospital, I might meet someone less than 60 years old and I can't have that happen. <laughs> what if I see a young person at the hospital? Then uh, I might meet someone who's not worthy of portraying my mother. <laughs> You with your Any. fancy machines, your heart rate monitors. Back in my day, my mother had a string tied to a frog, and if it screamed, it meant you were dying. And that was all the medicine we needed. We didn't then need any do-whistles. One day she collapsed all of a sudden, and she was dead before anyone realized what was happening, and then we learned that frogs don't actually scream, so, um... There wasn't any enough time. To, there wasn't even enough time to pour the leeches on her to drain the sickness out. <laughs> the people were looking at her like, "Weren't you alive during the 20th century?" <laughs> They're like, "Hold on, how old are you supposed to be?" You look like you were born in 1950. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, think they, I think they stopped using leeches in like the 1400s. That's it. How daring to question me. You'll never work in the phonograph industry again. <laughs> I'll tell Mr. Graham Bell to never let you, to never let you use your turnamophone machines. <laughs> if any of you dare to try and create vellum around me, I'll have you burn for witchcraft. <laughs> Everyone who just comes up with a smartphone, she's like, witch, witch. <laughs> it took us 12 years to get through that script because she just gets. <laughs> Every time we turned the camera on, she thought it was stealing her soul. And I don't know how often we had to explain it all to her again. I don't get it. She's 60. She's seen some. <laughs> She's been an actress her entire life. But every time the camera comes on, she screams <laughs> witch and starts knocking things over. <laughs> we tried to bring in a teleprompter one day and she just screamed until the screen shattered. <laughs> the words are populating from my skull. Yes, that's the design of the machine. <laughs> so you admit to being a spy, <laughs> eh, Ruski? 
She like starts to do this the seed, and then she starts pointing at it. How does it know what I'm going to say? <laughs> you, you're like the cat last night in my room, stealing my breath from me while I slept. <laughs> no, ma'am, don't <laughs> put down the hammer. <laughs> and then she's like alright well now that I had a long day of shooting she like puts on a headset alright welcome subscribers to my new Twitch streams <laughs> oh shit <laughs> pro gamer for life <laughs> oh boy the liars alright <laughs> anyway fuck's sake so Kay draws all this attention to herself from this very standoffish woman. Uh, and so after the meeting is over, she and Ren and Sasuke are outside talking. And Sasuke's like, I, what, I went to, I controlled myself and you just, woof! so she's really upset with Kay for doing that. And she's like pounding. She's like waving her arms. They're like, oh, you're so stupid, stupid for doing that. And Kay just like, no, I, I just had to. Um, and Sasuke's even bring up like she could get you could get blacklisted from in the movie world. And Ren says. Female actors hate other female actors. It's mm-hmm. part of the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Michael Cole, I've always thought that all women hated each other. It's like, what, what is this? <laughs> it's weird because to this point, you could have I mean. Unfortunately, the last, like, three chapters have kind of cemented the idea that Ren has, like, some jealous energy that seems to be entirely connected to uh, Kuriyama. So, there's part of it that you just want to be like, I could understand as when you're when you're an actor, particularly in this case an actress, and you're, you're aging, you, you have that kind of level. But it, it, it definitely makes the scene come off a lot worse maybe she's just trying to say it as something like a, a scene to lighten the levity but it doesn't come across well at all yeah it's weird um and i, I and because i do think that this kind of like takes away from the weird like ownership thing that because uh, it, it does definitely seem to be like a matter of like backwards thinking and uh, stubbornness that feeds into uh, Mami Akashiji's stance on this. And then Ren just has to come in and say, oh, she's a woman and women hate each other. It, it, it takes away from her character, basically, to say for Ren to say that. And it's annoying. Uh, but go ahead. I was just going to say, the weird thing is that it's not followed up on. No one, like, says anything to continue that line of thought anywhere. So it just comes off kind of strange, like this weird statement in the middle of a chapter where everything else in the chapter seems to reinforce that that might actually be what Ren believes. So it's just stupid. It's really just a dumb thing to have said. So... There's that. And then Kay reflects on some of the stuff that people said to her, including Ren recently. And with it, you know, being like she's, you know, 
competitive and stuff. Uh, and she shouldn't be treating her just as an enemy, basically. And so she's like, okay. And this kind of comes to the end of the chapter, which is her plan to have the three of them work together. And she proposed that the three of them sleep in the same house, eat the same things, and watch the same things in the town where Manami Yakushiji lived. And immediately Ren's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So that's where the chapter ends. So... Yeah, it, this is an odd chapter. It was I mean, I I do appreciate the brief moment where Mami Yakushiji is just like mean for the sake of it in case, you know, breaks protocol by standing up to her. It's one of those things where it's like you can have K be this weird uh, sociopath at times, but also just because of that, she doesn't recognize protocols and she'll just, you know, do what she thinks is right without thinking about it without a filter. Mm. So I do think it's a little strange. I mean, what? Uh, Satsuki? Is that her name? That's the little, little girl? girl's name. Yes. Uh, I mean, she's eight and they're like, all right, so <laughs> for, I don't know, however long until we're filming, you're going to live in a house with us. she's still a child (laughs) we're kidnapping you you've got no say in this (laughs) i get it it's it's actage uh really honestly this chapter was fine the the line there about female actors hating other ones it it probably means nothing but in a week where it felt like there was already just a lot of misogyny and drump it definitely came across worse in the grand scheme of things. So this was definitely a line that either needed to be addressed or should have been removed from the whole chapter because it's a very bad one. All right. Let's move on to spy family mission 29. So there's a lot of little things that happen in this chapter. I'm not going to do a play by play of it because there are certain structures of chapters where it's just not conducive to getting through them in a timely manner. If I were to do that, The premise of the chapter is that Anya has to do a project where they do a report on a job. They have to interview someone about a job that uh, they're interested in and then do a report on it. Uh, And Henderson's the one who gives them this uh, this assignment. And I do like the the little uh, note that he makes where he's like, I will make myself available if you want to interview me. It's like, oh, that's really sweet. He cares enough to actually do do, do all this stuff. we have a couple of pages where because uh, Anya goes to your and talks about it. And so she thinks like, oh, no, if she asks me about my job and she imagines taking Anya on an assignment where she assassinates someone. And it's probably the funniest part of the chapter because like she just has Anya there and blood splatters all over her face. And then yours eventually just like, uh, yeah, uh, and so Anya can read her mind during all of this. She just says, maybe I'll just do my report on Papa's job. <laughs> so um, Lloyd, of course, has a cover, which is working at a hospital. So they go there. Anya's dressed as Sherlock Holmes, complete with Deerstalker. Not sure why. Um and uh, so Lloyd says that he works as a psycho- as a psychiatrist there. And, uh, you know, there are some things that where he talks about where he's, you know, he's given the explanation. And he's like, hey, you know, think of it this way. Everyone catches a cold, but some people don't catch colds in their bodies. Some catch colds in their minds. So 
Uh, I have to I have to try and help those people. And these are some of the challenges associated with it. Uh, Anya meets some of the other people who work at the hospital and stuff. Meanwhile, she's taking notes, not on the stuff that Lloyd says, but on the stuff that he's secretly thinking, because that's the actual report that she's trying to make is the, I guess. Um, nurses give Anya chocolate. Uh, and so she's like, this is wonderful because they're giving me free chocolate. Uh, they end Lloyd ends up taking Anya into his office. Uh, he has to leave in order to get a briefing from his contact. Uh, and so he leaves her behind in the office and Anya has already read his mind and knows that there is a secret exit in the bookcase. Uh, so she, of course, gets up to her usual antics. She triggers the secret passage and starts crawling through the tunnels and ends up crawling over an air event where people are talking about patients claiming to see and hear ghosts and stuff. And, of course, she ends up making a racket. And so they think that, that there's a ghost in the hospital because one of them's Hitler. So, you know, he'll believe anything. Uh-huh. Look at that mustache. You know. It could only be Hitler. Well, did you know he was actually a, he worked in hospital? So yeah. uh, Anya rushes back to the office before Lloyd gets back and she just kind of like throws a bunch of shit together because she was supposed to have been playing in this, you know, little uh, sand tray that is used to analyze people. And she because she just kind of like did everything all at once. It looks like mayhem. And so he's like psychoanalyzing it she's clearly disturbed oh no how have i never noticed this whole time she needs immediate care anyway do you want to buy the new spy wars book <laughs> on you do you want me to get that for you so you're just pushing this in the back of his mind what's going on <laughs> um but then he happens to spot her little notebook and and so he's like, oh, OK, yeah, have you been taking good notes? And Anya's like, oh, no, I've been taking notes about a spy job. He's going to find out. But he starts to read it. And of course, it's Anya's handwriting. So it's completely illegible. So doesn't find out about that. And uh, then when they get home, your talks about how uh, Lloyd has punched a guy before and has passed it off as concussive therapy to her. So uh, that happens. Anya gives a report. And uh, for the most part, it's all very innocent stuff. She's like, my pop is a spy, a psychiatrist. Oh, isn't that adorable? She mispronounces it because she's six. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's talking about like, you know, my papa works really hard. He says that he wants to save everyone who had a hard time during the war, that you have to build a relationship based on trust. And so he carefully observes people. Papa's very determined to make connections. He plays golf at his job and uses a secret escape route. They pass out candy, too. It's like, what's going on? I heard that sometimes he punches and kicks his patients. And of course, Henderson gets really freaked out when he hears this. Anyway, that's the chapter. It was okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a particularly very funny chapter, um, but it was all right. And it was cute. So. Yep. And as it's little cute moments, uh, the flashback was, or I, not, it's not flashback, but the, the imagination. Yeah, spot. the yeah. imagination dream. It's all, it was all very, very little fun. Uh, with that, though, let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick, with the big chapter one, 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 one hundred, hundred, hundred. There we go. I think, I think that works. Yep, exactly. Everyone can see what you're doing. Uh, Eden Zero, chapter 100, Eden's one. What? Ooh, what is what's go that? What's mean? going on? So the chapter opens up with the characters talking, talking to Master Noah. Who is basically just like, 
kind of further establishing everything that happened, saying like, yep, uh, you guys beat Jack and Joe. He's now in the custody of the Interstellar Union Army. It was a great job. Service to the wrap up in a way. Mm Uh, he basically says, like, yep, this whole mission relied on Rebecca's cat leaper powers. Uh, so I will have to note that if I mention that in my briefing, it will complicate matters for you all. So I ask that you remain anonymous. And they're like, whoa, you have superiors? He's like, oh, yes. Well, uh, my position as a guild master is merely a, a front. And he says, he's like, I should not tell you this, but I'm rather indebted for you all. So I will tell you that I am the director overseeing the uh, Sakura Cosmos, the the basically the Galactic Intelligence Agency, the same group of Mira works for. So Shiki has a moment where he's like, "Hold on, you're friends with the Mira, and I'm friends with the Mira, and thus by the transitive property, I am <laughs> friends with you, but you tried to hurt my friend." Yeah, it's a, there's a weird moment because he's like, a friend of a friend. And he gets all excited and Master was like, yeah, we can be friends if you want to. Like, Hold on a second. <laughs> I really wanted that moment for his head to explode. He's like, but you endangered friend. But you did non-friendly things. <laughs> you friend with friend that make friend with me. But you mean to friend can't be friend if friend hurt friend. Shaky publishes a book that's like a textbook, like the laws of friendship. It's like friend equal friend question mark. And it's like a picture of him in a lab coat on the front. Like, <laughs> but like he's, it's like a five- he spelled friend wrong. It's like a full, it's a full size textbook. It's, you know, like, you know, large print, you know, a foot by, by eight inches and hardcover. 500 pages long but he managed but the only way it's that long is that there are a bunch of pictures in, of it of him trying to look smart on like every other page you know shiki to lab coat shiki with a magnifying glass <laughs> shiki with a with a bubble pipe <laughs> i like the idea too that like the inside is just programming code he's like if friend equal friend of another friend then shiki friend and <laughs> Like just uh, it continues on. Uh, he's basically like, "Hey, uh, please don't tell this to anybody. I'll lose everything." And there's one amusing please. joke where Hamora just immediately like like closes her mouth that she seems very concerned about this. This is honestly the funniest use of the Homora gimmick that we have seen thus far in this series, because just enough attention is drawn to it. And she doesn't have the moment where she kills it by saying, I don't know if I will be able to keep this a secret because of my ability, because the fact that she just covers her mouth and looks worried. And it's so much more effective having that. Yeah, it was very well done. Uh, So Rebecca asks to speak to Noah alone and explains, hey, so I had this power since I was a kid, right? Do you know where that comes from then? He's like, no, I did do a background check on you, but I have no idea where your power is from. And it's a very strong possibility that it comes from someplace far out of our reach, maybe even in outer space. And then Rebecca asks, well, hey, so let me tell you about this Connor guy. And she goes on to explain how there's a Connor in her timeline in Earth 29 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how he helped them get through the debris field in, in one day when it should have taken three days. But now he's gone. And they say there was no debris field, etc. And I the detail that she throws in the like the timeline matches up. Uh-huh. So uh, 
he made the difference that allowed us to get there, and that still maintained uh, where we were. So, yeah. where, what the hell happened to him? So, so she says, "I worry that by going back or by cat leaping, basically, I've erased him from existence." And he's like, "No, that's probably not the case." What the more likely scenario is, is that maybe some events were changed from a power beyond your own. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's another person with world leaping abilities or world altering abilities like hers. So they seem to have made a a peaceful kind of thing. It's still kind of strange. He did help get her sold into a uh, sex slavery ring. But we're going to brush all that under the table uh, because he is a pretty. Now. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty boy. So <laughs> no, re- no need to go on that. Uh, cut to outside. The Billy is there. Her and Rebecca have a, a small conversation about like, hey, I'm sorry I got you dragged into this. And the Billy is even like, you know, thank you for saving me. And then runs away, but then immediately uploads a, a, a BQ video where she basically just filmed Rebecca in a bunch of embarrassing situations, uh, including one where she literally is like, oh, looks like she's about to take off her clothes. And Rebecca just screams, this is a crime. This is an actual <laughs> literal crime that you're doing right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, they maintain all... that we're, we're rivals, basically. Yeah, it, it ends on the whole like, you're never going to beat me. Uh, so we have that to look forward to. Uh, there's a small conversation that happens where Jin's like, Hey, can you fix my sister? You said you were going to like, yeah, it's going to take some time. Uh, clean seems to enjoy being on the ship. She's got new clothes. Moscow says words. I don't care for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the group, uh, I guess part of the group. There's a, there's a nice little moment where sister's like, Hey, you know, a promise is a promise. I will heal her. It's just that this is going to be difficult because it's not physical damage. So, yeah. Uh, the rest of the group looks upon, uh, the hologram version of mother and they have a big moment where everyone says their dreams. And it's hard not to make the comparison that this is exactly what one piece did in chapter 100. As the group finally sailed into the, the, uh, from into the grand line, Chris, are you accusing Mashima Hiro of borrowing slash swiping elements from One Piece? That is something he would never do. I know. Look, enough people in the Discord brought it up that I, I would be remiss if I didn't say it. It is also very important to note that in the One Piece version... All the characters had very noble dreams, and two of the dreams in this one are women and lots of fish. Sanji's dream also involved lots of fish, but it was a lot more <laughs> romantic of a dream than I just want a lot of fish. So, um, yeah, they, they all shout their dreams. Rebecca wants to be a big beekeeper. She wants to be friends with mother. Pino wants to be human. And Hamora wants to see her mentor again. So they're like, all right, with that, we're going to go out to outer space. But before we could do that, Shiki wants to see Grand Bell one more time. Because maybe everybody's back to normal. Hmm. Cut to the Eden one question mark. It's all black, so it's all ominous. Yeah, and it looks like a big fish. Uh, And a little robot says, Captain, we're receiving a signal. And we see... Connor in the captain's chair wakey saying oh I must have just been having a strange dream it was like I was wrapped in something warm like a family and in the dream I let myself no 
It doesn't matter. The time has come to keep me promise. The Eden Zero, or the Eden's One is setting for sale for Grand Belgiar. And we cut over to the planet Grand Bell where... Oh, I want to say... No- oh, it's just the Demon Lord, Ziggy. right? No, Ziggy, that's it. Yeah. But that was the Demon Lord, right? Oh, uh, yeah, the original, I yeah. believe, yeah. Yeah, we see a light shine in Ziggy's eye. So, there we go. This is actually a really nice chapter. Uh-huh. I was intriguing. shocked when I read this because I was like, this is on actually like on my short list for chapter of the week because there were kind of slim pickings as we'll shortly get into. Uh, but I like a lot of stuff that happens in this. I love the stuff, the the real sense of like, what the hell's going on with Connor? And, you know, you see him and it's like, oh, he's on the Edens one. What the hell's going on with that? I really, li- really, really like Rebecca in this chapter. She seems like a really admirable person. You know, she makes up with Labilia, even though Labilia is, you know, an asshole to her again. Uh, she's showing concern for someone. She has that really nice conversation with Master Noah, and they talk about things in a way that makes sense. And, you know, she and she has like this sense of responsibility for a power that she you know only just discovered that she has and she has a very big you know uh reality altering you know kind of moment of like oh my god did i just erase this man from existence you know and it's nice to have her be worried about people in that way so it's it's actually a really good chapter i agree and i'm i'm actually really intrigued to see where this goes to the whole mystery around connor has actually been really well done they kind of alluded way back when he was introduced that there was still some mysterious stuff about him we went an entire arc without really delving into any of it and now i mean we're gonna see maybe we're gonna find out some more maybe that's a mystery we're gonna hold on to for a little bit uh i like this chapter a lot all right Let's talk about Chainsaw Man. Chapter okay. 75, 9-12. So, the angel devil has just witnessed uh, Makima do something to Aki. She told him to do something, and he agreed to it. And the angel devil kind of realizes what's going on, and he shouts to Makima as he's kind of remembering what happened to him in the past, that flashback that we saw in the last chapter. And Makima is like, oh, dear, did you remember? And so the angel devil immediately uh, cuts 10 years off in order to summon a sword. And he goes to try and cut Makima's head off with it, holding the sword in his teeth. And she commands him down like he's a dog. And he falls to the ground. Uh, and he starts to shout at her while he's down on the ground. What are you planning? What are you? And Makima just says, Angel, say you'll give me all of you. And he freaks out for a brief moment, and then he kind of goes relaxed, and he says, I give you all of me. And she says again, like he's a dog, good boy, because that's how she talks to people, not just Denji. So she says to the two of them that she apologizes, but she really had no other choice. Japan is full of spies more than any other nation in the world. The operation to take out the gun devil has already been exposed. It was rather meaningless, even as a bluff. In the end, things have taken the course that will cause the greatest damage. That's unfortunate. 
So seemingly, and by the end of this chapter, unquestionably, that whole thing about, oh yeah, the gun devil has been chopped up and is owned by several nations, she was lying about that. Makima lied about something? What? So. <laughs> we cut to the White House, where the President of the United States is on the phone, and he says the time has come. That's not how the president would talk, Nick. Well, it's 1997. Well, I know. So. But who was president in 1997, Nick? Bob Dole thinks Bob Dole should have been the president. <laughs> I mean, Bob shit. Bob Dole thinks Bob Dole would have been a great president. <laughs> Bob Dole. Bob Dole's making a deal with the gun devil. Bob Dole. <laughs> if we don't kill Malcolm Manel, the worst possible peace will descend upon humanity. That's what the people wanted. It looks like the other nations have already given up. No. It's more accurate, probably, to say they've accepted it. Fearing and strength in Makama is nothing less than the history of humanity. Everything, even resistance, may be put but a step on a predictable course. But the land of the free rests on my shoulders. I simply cannot surrender without so much as a whimper. My citizens, forgive my foolish decision. Gun devil, I'll give you one year of the lifespan to the American people. In exchange... I want you to kill Makima. That is the control devil. Bum, bum, bum. And then there's a really creepy page following this where Makima is still on the beach and she's flanked by the angel devil and Aki looking serene and like there's nothing wrong. And she extends, extends her hand out of the page and says, come as if she is using her power on you, the reader. Anyway, let's just pretend the chapter ends there. <laughs> okay, I am in one very big mind and one smaller mind about the, the following sequence that happens. The smaller part of me thinks it is a very effective and horrifying demonstration of the power of an upcoming villain. The much bigger part of me thinks that this should not have been done because it features the gun devil appearing outside of a church somewhere in the Nika, the somewhere in Akiha, Akita prefecture in Japan and shooting up a church and killing everyone inside it, bullets flying through the windows and taking people's heads off and sending people's corpses flying. So, yeah. Um, the rest of the chapter is just the gun devil like floating around outside and the names of the victims uh, flanking it. And look, I don't think that this is something that should be like taken lightly, you know, just like, oh, yeah, he shot up a church, you know, look at how intimidating he is, especially given, you know, like. Here's the thing. I think that this is a very deliberate choice to have the gun devil working for America because this is something that we as Americans have more of an awareness 
and empathy for because it keeps fucking happening here. But by that same virtue, I think that the use of this comes off as very insensitive because of that. So I don't like this. So uh, bear with me, everybody, because this might get long. I don't know. Um, I agree with you. I, I, I really disliked reading this. I mentioned that this was a particularly bad week of manga. And I think that there are a couple different reasons why I didn't care for this chapter. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to it later. Currently it's tied for chapter of the week with people. And I can absolutely see why people think that way. I took a very bad path in reading manga this week. As I mentioned, there are several chapters that felt like they were very misogynistic this week that left very poor tastes in my mouth. And then I followed it up with this chapter and uh, I agree uh, a church shooting that references 9-11 is not particularly the sort of series that I really wanted to read after following like four straight chapters of some pretty unfortunate stuff in Jump. Um, now, I do believe that Fujimoto is not doing this tactlessly. Uh, there has to be some level of, of of knowledge on his end. He wouldn't call the chapter something that would clearly invoke 9-11 if that wasn't a deliberate choice. And it's not a surprise to see that this is a chapter that's commenting on, on various different issues. The, the very notion that the big ominous enemy in Chainsaw Man is the gun devil as a critique of gun culture across the world is is clear. That's like indisputable. We're in the, the rules of the world is that the more something is feared, the stronger it becomes. So, yes, it, it's obviously a critique on a lot of these different things. And I I understand that there is a point to art that is meant to sometimes make you feel uncomfortable. It is to make you feel things. And sometimes it's not going to be fun. Sometimes it's going to be very unpleasant. And I absolutely acknowledge that this is a chapter that, in time, I'll probably enjoy quite a lot. It might be... A week from now, it might be years from now, I can absolutely do that. However, just in the same way that art is meant to create feelings, you as the recipient are not responsible to feel the way that the author hoped you would feel. I can understand mm. that there are very important things here. I hated reading every single second of this. I absolutely hated it. Fujimoto did not intend it, but it, it it's weird. Someone commented today... Uh, or not today, but recently on Twitter, not even a manga person, just unrelated, the fact that we are living in a country that absolutely cannot get any handle on the coronavirus, and they tweeted something like, because of this present president, every American citizen has lost a year of their life. In a chapter where the president of the United States offers a year of his life to then have a monster go and commit basically drone strikes on millions or what hundreds of foreign citizens it strikes very close to home it's unfortunate to read i think it is incredible that fujimoto is in jump and i think it's a very brave decision for a series that is this risky that is willing to push this many bounds to be in this series i think this is going to inspire a lot of very good people in coming years to use a lot of these techniques and to feel like they don't need to be one thing when they're in jump However, 
Following this, I read a series where a magical microwave robot told a mangaka that he has to save a girl in the future with his <laughs> manga. So sometimes, maybe it just doesn't fucking work. And maybe I don't really want to read this stuff at the same time. That's all I really want to say, alright? I mean, it's it's a weird thing to talk about because, like, it... And I think that this is the thing, is that it uh, discomforts us for the reasons that it should. Yes. Like... I mean, the very reasons that this, I think, is effective as a storytelling choice in terms of like it shocks you and it's, you know, it plays off of, you know, fear and stuff like that. Artistically, yeah, it all makes sense. And in a way, it's an incredibly effective chapter. But at the same time, it happens to hit me in a way that I really do not like. So... What can you do about it? Because it's for the exact same reasons that it should, it's, if yeah. that feeling didn't exist, would make it good. <laughs> yeah, so. like, so I, I really want to stress this. If you love this chapter, if this is your chapter of the week, that is perfect. That is valid. That is very fair. Understand, though, why some people are probably having issues maybe enjoying this chapter in the same way. So it, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to say anything here to say, hey, guys, you shouldn't enjoy this chapter because 9-11 and school shootings and, and things like that. Uh, it's just something where I didn't like this chapter. It's not going to be in my contention for chapter of the week. I thought it was a, a, a portion of some very, cha- very I don't want to say bad chapters, but chapters I certainly didn't enjoy. And yeah. that's why. Okay, let's move on to something that's going to be much easier to talk about <laughs> This one's bad for obvious reasons. Okay. (laughs) Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 3. Chris, you didn't like Chainsaw Man. I just can't (laughs) accept that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So we get this explanation at the beginning that there's two different types of energy in humans. Kon and Haku, the spirit and the body. And this is Matsuri explaining this to Suzu. And Suzu's like, I don't really get it. But what you're saying is I'm like a super exclusive, extremely high calorie dessert for demons. And she's like blushing. And Matsuri's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? (laughs) Anyway, we then get a picture of her as a super high calorie dessert because she's wearing a costume made of candy anyway uh-huh. um we then see people talking about matsuri and about how hot matsuri is are they in their first year of high school is that what why they don't know that matsuri i think that they're in their first year of high school and so that's why they don't know who matsuri is because they started school the day after he got turned into a girl well, anyway I think, they, I think he also didn't go to school previously did he or no i guess he did because we saw shots of him at school but they mentioned that he got some strings pulled to get into this school so he's in a du- he's in a different school. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, they're like, hey, do you know that Matsuri girl? There's just dudes in that bathroom talking about hot girls from their class while they've got their dicks in their hands going to the bathroom. Anyway, Matsuri is like, I gotta take a leak and heads into the men's room and starts to like go to the stall uh, with his skirt and stuff like that. And it's like, oops. And then a teacher? I guess it's a teacher. No, it's fucking. It's a, a wrestler from the ruthless aggression era of WWE who uh, got a brief intercontinental title run and then nothing else. Uh, oh, now works right. at the school. Yeah. <laughs> who am I describing? It could be like four different different wrestlers. 
Honestly, like this guy looks like he could be a wrestler. He's got the really weird facial hair and earrings and and hairstyle. Yeah, total wrestler. Um, so Matari accidentally has got into the men's room because he forgot. Yeah. Um, Suzu's friends are still vapid and flat. And they're just like, look at that girl. Go to the boys' bathroom. She really is a character. And phone girl is like, post-worthy. <laughs> Robot, post. And then it's like, naked. So Matsuri is at home, naked. Got to get that fan service in. There are three, four, five, six, seven. Seven pages with fan service shots of Matsuri uh, in this 24-page chapter. So there you go. Uh, Matsuri thinks to himself as, he, as he's in the bath, it's hard being a girl. Suzu keeps nagging me. She's like, don't spread your legs like that. Watch your skirt when you use the stairs. Wear shorts under your skirt. You're a dude. You should want to do that anyway. Then she says, sorry, then he says, and I fucking quote, I have a pretty hot bod if I do say so myself. Yeah. It's just a thing that people say. <laughs> so then he starts around his vagina, I guess, because he's like, let's see what's good. Because he's like, so that's what's going down down there. Then Suzu shows up outside of the, of the bathroom and he's like, oh, you got to be careful. Akash, you're more active at night. What do you want? Suzu's like, I was worried. Uh, Suri is like, here's my butt. Here's my boobs. There you go, camera guy. And then Suzu's like, I'm worried about the scroll that sealed Shuragane's power. He'll probably come after it, right? Probably. That's why I have it with me at all times. Look, I even brought it into the bath with me. And Suzu's like, yoink, it's mine. Poof, I was really the cat this whole time. Yeah. Runs off with it. And then literally Shuragane thinks to himself, a naked human girl wouldn't dare come out to chase me because they're naked. Uh-huh. Now is my chance to release the seal and return. And Matsuri, of course, just boom, pops out, starts chasing after them. And Shuragane is like, oh, right, that's still Matsuri Kazumaki. So he doesn't care that he's running around naked because, you know, how dudes are, Chris. They don't care about running around naked. Nope. Shame is a gender attached quality of people's personality. Uh-huh. That is a known fact. So Matsuri, however, is still wearing this, like, collar and so Matra goes, suit up, like, you know, like like they're the protagonist of Common Rider, basically. And the necklace, the choker thing, transforms into full ninja gear. Poof! Suited up really quickly. And Matsuri starts ru- rushing after Shirogane, starts to take them down with some sort of new art. Suzu's like, my thighs are my selling point as a fetish. Because she's massaging them. Something that she does all the time, I guess. Anyway, so she's thinking to herself, Matsuri's a girl now. I don't know if I could get into that. Maybe. I don't know. No, no, I wouldn't do that. We're not going to tease this because girl on girl is hot to 12-year-old boys. Matsuri catches Shiragane and seals him up in a bunch of like seals and is like, it's over now. I'm going to kill you. And Suzu comes rushing out because she hears the commotion because this was happening right outside of her and Matsuri's houses. And then Suzu's like, no, you can't exercise Shirogane. If you do, you'll be unable to undo the jutsu on you. So you can't. And Shirogane is like, yes, I'll use my overwhelmingly powerful survival skill jutsu to overcome this danger. And then she's like, 
And he's like, thighs, Suzu's thighs are her selling point and rubs it against them. And but then while trying to endear himself to her, he's like, and what she says is true. If I'm gone, the jutsu will turn you will turn into a curse and you'll stay a girl forever. So Matsuri's like, listen, I might not be able to return to my true form, but your safety takes priority. So I'm going to kill this guy. I have no choice. I'll stay a girl forever. And I'm just going to exercise this person that could bring harm to you. But Suzu stops him and is like, no, you turn into a girl because of me. You won't ever be able to go back to being a guy. I just can't accept that title drop. Is it how much of it is I can't accept that and her like, but we can't fuck the way my mind associates that we'd be able to fuck if you're a girl. I clearly have the hots for you and you being in a female body unlocks feelings that I'm not comfortable with confronting. So you have to get a dick back so that I can go back to having a crush on you because I have latent homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> so Master is like, ah, well, once you make up your mind, you never budge. Fine, then. Starting today, Shirogane, I'm taking you in as a pet. What? So... Smug is very dumb. <laughs> it's been three chapters now, Chris. So uh, we have to decide if yeah. we're keeping this or not. So uh, I have a proposal for you, Chris. Okay. I am going to suggest that we put a pin in this <gasps> because I get the feeling that out of this crop of manga, because it's Kentari Abaki and because there's lots of boobs that this is going to stick around. Okay. So when inevitably some of the series that we're currently looking at, like Bone Collection and or Time Paradox Ghost Rider or Magujan, this current crop of manga, when some of them start to go away and we need to fill out the lineup again, we could bring this back. And even if it's chapter 30 or whatever, it'll be like, well, I mean, we haven't missed anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's still grabbing his boobs. Uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can agree to that. Uh, I, I did have one thought on this this chapter this week, and uh, it relates to something personal. So uh, at the start of June, is Pride Month. I made uh, a small post, basically coming out as asexual, and I didn't put a whole lot into it. It wasn't really something I wanted to kind of note, but it is something that uh, since announcing, I've been able to to find a lot of uh, more sense. In the way I think about certain things and put a lot of things into some context. And sure. there was a moment as I was reading this chapter was like, there's a lot of nudity in this. Just a lot of it. <laughs> and there was a real moment like where I was like halfway through the chapter and she gets out and she's naked and she's running. That I was like, I mean, I don't get I don't experience sexual attraction, really. But uh, wouldn't you have come by now? <laughs> so like, if you were reading this chapter. <laughs> and that was your goal. You were like, this is so uh, wouldn't you have just come by halfway through this chapter, basically? I don't get it. I, it's it doesn't make sense. Okay, so let me see. Hang on a second. So alright, page two, we've got Suzu in the candy outfit. That I'm sure does it for someone because uh-huh. candy in a woman's body is sexual to some people. I personally, as the sexually attracted to women part of our of our podcast, have never understood that. Whipped cream, chocolate, dipped up, never gotten into it. But some people Some people are, definitely are. Common. Then we've got 
Uh, Matsuri in the bathroom. I'm not going to call that sexual. Oh, no. No, it's 100%. There are definitely pee-holding fetishes out there. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's that's a fetish. You're right. Okay, so that's two. Then we got, like I said before, seven pages of Matsuri in the bath. Then we've got a page with Suzu groping her own legs. And then more close-ups on her legs on the next page. Uh, So, by my count, that's 11 pages of fan service in this chapter. Mm Mm-hmm. This is primarily targeted to guys who are too young to be able to like buy or you know get around age restrictions to view porn and stuff. So I think you're right, Chris. I think that this is overdoing it. <laughs> it was just a moment where it's like, I don't understand this. <laughs> what, are you going to come back to this later? <laughs> what did you <laughs> All right, yeah, we're going to put that pin is... in it. Thunk. Put a pin in it. I'm not going to read this every week. But eventually, we probably are going to anyway. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's an easy target, honestly. <laughs> Chris, Chapter 9 of Bone Collection. Bone Collection is ready. I want to drink milk. <laughs> Nick, would it stun you if before no. we start this, I tell you this is a strong contender for my chapter of the week. You know what, Chris? I think you're fucking right. <laughs> now, listen, before we get into this chapter proper, chapter proper, chapter, chapter proper. So before we get into this chapter proper, um, there have been series in the past that we have started off hating and ended up liking. The most infamous example is definitely World Trigger. Uh-huh. Now, given the direction that this chapter takes... I could actually see Bone Collection getting to a point where we would be okay and actually kind of like it. I don't think it's going to get to a point anytime soon where we look at it and think anything but, wow, this is hideously drawn. But in terms of writing and character, because this chapter did not resort to constant, cruel, gross jokes and instead focused on the positive points of our main characters, it actually excelled. If the series continues to take that direction, then it can easily become a much better series. In my opinion. That said, I'm sure that the bone collection fan base would be just be like, why don't they just make jokes about his brother wearing a swimsuit anymore? This is bullshit. (laughs) There's someone out there furious. Like the brother in the swimsuit hasn't been brought up in like two chapters. What the fuck? (laughs) This is a, Oh, that was decent about Bone Collection before. (laughs) All right. So Pyra and Kazami are off on a case. They're out in the boondocks somewhere uh, sent to investigate yokai. Um, There are a bunch of farms and farmers out here. And there's a farmer who's like, exorcist, no, go home. There's nothing going around here. And so they're like, "Okay, clearly you're trying to hide something. And uh, immediately, like, Kazami, you know, sees the way the farmer's, you know, being, you know, upset about them being there. And so he's like, okay, I'll go ask someone else. But before he can even leave, suddenly there's a yokai on his arm. It's this cute little two-tailed yokai that is helping to milk the cows. He's super harmless, and he helps out this farmer. And he's like, oh, my wife died three years ago, and I didn't even get my peanuts. And here's this little fella doing all the milking for me. He's all helpful. I named him Milk Boy. And, like, he is really helpful. He pasteurizes and enriches the milk. He's super helpful and harmless. And 
he just hangs around and he's super cute and helpful. So, uh, but the farmer's just like, Hey, listen, can you just let him go? I know how things like this work. And he's like, starts to hand the money. And Kazami's just like, no, it's fine. It's so adorable and wonderful. So yeah, you can, oh no, I won't exercise you. And Pyra's like, give me some milk and I'll let him go. We talk a lot about the art. And generally I try not to be too harsh because, you know, who am I? Who? Yeah, I'm terrible at most stuff. So, but there's a moment where Pyra's talking and it's supposed to be milk coming out of her mouth, and it it's impossible. It's it, even if it's drool, there's something. It seems to have a, a solidity to it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just looks so awful. So suddenly, another uh, exorcist comes in. And he's this, you know, 30-something-looking dude, possibly older, who's just like, Ah, who are you? Get out of my territory. This is my zone. And he, like, is extorting the farmer for money. Pyra and Kazami get thrown out on their ass somehow. Um, and then they're like, okay, this guy might be a rogue exorcist. And Kazami's like, time to use my awesome communication skills, which involve him taking the guy to a hostess club and treating him. So Kazami's in high school, so I don't know how he managed to get in the host club, but all right. So he gets the guy drunk and plies him with, you know, booze and women in order to get him to tell him what, what he's all about. You know, he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the defender of this town. But, you know, like, I've got, like, you know, that farmer, yeah, he's like a donation box. So I was going to exercise that yokai, but, you know, he had me some cash, so I accepted it and left him alone. And if you're an exorcist, you got to be like me and be smart about yokai. That's my advice, rookie. But, you know, the money's going to run out soon, so it's going to be time for the finale. So, um... Then Kazami's walking outside, and I believe that what has happened here is Pyra has beaten him up because there were women around him, and every woman in this series is jealous. That's just how they do. Mm-hmm. So Kazami's like, we got to deal with this guy. He's so corrupt. Uh, and so what happens is the guy hasn't actually done anything. He's just spread rumors around that, oh, a yokai is making the milk. Oh, you're letting our children drink this. What's going on? And the farmer's trying to say, like, no, no, he's he's safe and he's friendly. Uh, milk boy uh, decides that he's got to leave. So he waves goodbye to the farmer after and starts to walk away. But the exorcist shows up and he's like, oh, don't worry. I'll exercise this yokai, kids. And then, of course, you know, he's going to show off and he's going to get all this money from the villagers and stuff. So he starts to pose and act all cool. But then suddenly the sky breaks and a much more dangerous yokai comes by. The cow shed crusher. There's a lot of weird monsters in Japanese folklore. They're Is that just, a real one? A lot of weird monsters in folklore in general. But Japanese spirits, there's so many very specific ones. <laughs> and I guarantee that this is not actually one that was made up. So Wow. So... The exorcist, it turns out, is really bad at his job because he didn't set up a talisman to protect the people. So he just starts to run away from the cowshed crusher. And Milk Boy jumps into action. And he tries to fight the much stronger yokai. And he's you know getting on his back and stuff like that. He's trying to protect everyone. And everyone sees him trying to do his best. Uh, even when he gets knocked to the ground, he's like, no, I've got to I've got to save him because if the cowshed crusher crushes the cowshed, say that five times fast, you won't be able to harvest milk. And so he rushes in in this hopeless battle. But then a giant skeletal fist comes up from the earth and punches the cowshed crusher in the jaw, as, of course, 
uh, Kazami has used one of Pyra's bones to uh, de- to fight it. And uh, afterwards, in the aftermath, people are, you know, really happy that Milk Boy was trying to stand up for them and save the day. Akifuyu comes by, explains to everyone, yeah, Milk Boy's harmless, gives him a designation that he's, you know, just an E-rank, he's harmless and stuff like that. And then they fly, because they can all fly, apparently, question mark, and they fly off back home together. And uh, while they're flying, Kazami says, hey, you know, you came and you fixed everything, Akifuyu. And Akifuyu says, I am one of the four exorcist kings after all. So Kazami says, you know, I realize now if I stay lower rank, I can't make a difference. So I'm going to become one of the four exorcist kings so I can make a difference and change the world that I want to. Eric Kafu is just like, yeah, do that. Pyra got drunk on milk somehow. Anyway. So, yeah. Very nice nice chapter. Heartfelt little story. uh, Played into Kazami's strengths as a character and gave him some potential, you know, positive momentum because he's like, hey, I've got a goal now besides just helping out Pyra. So um, I'm waiting for things to crash down next week. But uh, for right now, this is really nice. So. Yes. So I, I don't I'll just say I don't know if this chapter would necessarily be as great in a week where maybe there were better manga around it. But in a week without them. This was certainly a welcome surprise. I very much needed a chapter like Bone Collection this week, which was not a sentence I thought I would have said when I cashed in my veto in the bank contract. Amazingly, it actually paid off for you, Chris. Yeah. This is this is not the Dolph Ziggler title reign. This is this is at the very least, uh, you know, like the this is at the very least like a Carmella title reign. You oh, know? It's, it's, yeah, she took the title off Oscar, didn't she? Uh, which... She took it off of Charlotte. But, oh, but she beat Oscar twice afterwards, if I recall. Yeah, it sucks. yeah. I was like, I was like, but she did something bad to Oscar, right? Like, I remember that beat up where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, because Ellsworth was with her, and Oscar was like, I'm going to kick this child molester over and over again. So, anyway, <sighs> new series: <sighs> Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin. No, I forgot to even open this one. <laughs> so we are introduced to this premise that there are all of these different species on Earth, but most of them live below the water. So there's a whole bunch of weird species out there beneath the water. And then we are we cut to Tokyo, where there is a hostage situation in progress. If you've ever played Detroit, it's like the the t- tutorial level of that, where, you know, someone's being held hostage on a roof and you play the cop that's got to stop them or, you know, the investigator or whatever. So it's like that. This guy's got a woman at knife point on the edge of a building. He's like, yeah, stay back, coppers. And then all of a sudden there's another cop who's appeared behind him and he's holding his gun out at the guy. And it's Officer Samejima. And he just says to the criminal, you've got three choices, punk. One, drop the knife and let me slug you. Two, throw your life away for nothing and let me slug you. Three, I'm just going to slug you. So the guy tries to turn his knife against uh, against uh, Samajima. Samajima punches him. And then we immediately cut to him meeting with the commissioner who's like, y- you're fired. You're not look, you're not a pulp novel protagonist. You committed all these illegal things and 
a, you, look, you're fired. <laughs> so go. You're, I'm demanding that you go on mandatory leave to the Ogasawara Islands. So he ends up there, and Samajima narrates a bunch to himself. And all of his jokes are not funny because he jokes about like, I would never freak out about seeing a woman, a, a woman's boobs, sees a woman's boobs. Oh, I've got a nosebleed. Uh, uh, inner monologue boxes. Uh, check out my my narration boxes. Do you see how they're bloodstained? Isn't that cool? Anyway. So turn, as he's riding into town with big boobed officer. She says, there's a girl who was raised by a dolphin. You ever hear about it? It's on the news. Yeah, she was worshipped by a cult, the cult of the sea. And we've got that girl in protective custody. Uh, their, or, the cult's oracle was a girl who wasn't even five years old. They called her Princess Otsukoto. Her birth name is unknown. But she's called another thing in addition to that. So is that her real name? Anyway, she was raised by a dolphin. Anyway, I don't really know what the hell this well-endowed woman is talking about. Geez, her boobs are big. Anyway, this could be my big break. It could be my ticket back to Shinduka Precinct. And he arrives at the police station. Hey, there's a little girl there. It's, it's, it's the dolphin girl. Her name is Chaco. And she's calling out to her papa. She runs away. All right, I can't let myself get distracted. I got to make a strong impression. And it turns out that Samijima is going to be joining with an anthropomorphic dolphin named Lieutenant Orpheus, who is also a cop on the small island. And the dolphin is like... He loves his daughter. And he doesn't like Samajima smoking around her. So he punches Samajima when he smokes around her as they go on patrol together. Because they're partners now. Anyway, they're partners now. They're going, they get called into a case. There's some asshole punks. And this is where this, the, the chapter goes into the fucking depths of hell and never comes back. So the punks are like, look, we're an offender bender. And the cops are confronting about that them about this and they're like well you're not taking us seriously you know you're just pressing us on all these questions and stuff like that oh what's all this stuff Samajima is trying to push back against them and they're like oh this guy is nuts hey let's start filming him in case he starts causing trouble that's right if you cause trouble then we're gonna upload this to the internet and they're like oh these assholes filming cops trying to do their jobs they're gonna post these cops doing their jobs to the internet filming them how dare they do this how do they limit the cops abilities to do their jobs of filming them on cell phone cameras and then orpheus the dolphin cop is like we can do this hey hand over that device because filming anyone without their permission is a violation of privacy rights so then they're like what's going on i'm a dolphin police officer and I'm taking your phone away so that you can't film us doing our jobs as cops because this is a limitation on our ability to enforce the law. And the girl is there for some reason because Orpheus is an irresponsible parent, I guess. Bring his kid out on fucking police patrol. So they're like, this isn't illegal, right? I've got a right to... And then they're like, hey, we know the real story about this traffic incident. You, everything was filmed and recorded on their dash cam and you were the ones responsible. Well, what about the right to privacy? No, no, see, as long as it's not uploaded for commercial purposes, then it's not illegal. Oh, well, we were just assholes who were trying to use this for internet clout. That's all who people who film things on their cell phones are. That's all the purpose of, of what the purpose of filming cops is, is to embarrass them and prevent them from doing their jobs for online clout. And then they start to drive away. And then Orpheus is like, don't worry about it. This is perfect. And he and Samajima take out their fucking guns. 
And the big boob cop is like, what the fuck is going on here? And they shoot their guns and take out the car's, the car's tires. And we get narration that says, in nearly all cases, a Japanese police officer would never fire their weapon. Even in a case of clear self-defense, the question of whether or not it was really the best action will haunt them, putting a black mark on their record for, and sculling any hopes they had for promotion. Thus, almost all officers will retire from the force, having never used their firearms. Almost all. But not these two baddest motherfuckers. That's what really good cops do. They shoot their guns at the first sign of trouble. Look at them. They solved the situation by shooting their guns. Because, see, there was this girl who was going to be run over. She, It was a girl who had her kid with her. And, yeah, the car would have hit her. See, they were totally justified in shooting their guns. Anyway, they're going to take out those guys who were assholes and were filming them on their cell phones. And then they get chewed out by the commissioner of this town. And they're like... Now they're friends now. And the little girl's like, you're good cops. And that's the end of the chapter. Uh, huh? So fuck this manga. Uh, I will say, obviously, this manga had a very uh, poor timing, to say the least. Uh, on a lighter note, I will say this manga made an extremely bad decision and that was uh burying the fact that one of your characters was an anthropomorphic dolphin man anytime they describe this series they're like this hard-boiled cop teams up with the dolphin and then they should little girl and i was like i don't care about that but dolphin dude got me way more excited uh so i feel like that was a mistake and uh, otherwise not a huge fan I think that this is supposed to be funny, Chris. Probably. You know, it's, it's a cop, and he's it's a buddy cop adventure with, you know, a guy who doesn't play by the rules. Mm-hmm. And a dolphin cop who doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> that's that's how it usually goes. That's, um, if I, re- I recall Lethal Weapon, I watched that, and uh, Mel Gibson plays a cop who doesn't play by the rules, and Danny Glover... Oh, no, he did follow the rules. Did follow the rules. That's how buddy cops work, is that it's a clash of personalities. They're not just the same person, but one is, and also a dolphin. (laughs) There was a bitch for this at some point, where it's like, a hard-nosed cop who doesn't play by the rules. And a bottle-nosed cop who doesn't play by the rules. (laughs) Someone was like, yes. It's, and then the guy from Shonen Jump opened the manga and he's like, no, this is so good. This goes right into Shonen Jump. Listen, you can't just have anyone, any manga, not just any manga can go in Shonen Jump. Uh, also, this is the mangaka who made Beelzebub. By the way, so and that makes uh, sense. That, Hungry Mary, that was the uh, series that we actually covered on. That makes a lot of sense now that you say it. I look, a lot of this is the fact that it came out right now. Um, but even so, the views of how cops should behave, it like there is being ridiculously, you know, uh, unobservant of the rules for laughs. I get that. But the exact framing of it in terms of, yeah, they fired their guns like badasses is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you living in Japan where there are so few cases of gun violence being like, and that's the problem, right? So I, I, I don't get it. But in any situation, you want to have you want to take that stance. And beyond that, 
I have no idea who the hell's made the decision that this manga should run right now when there is something that is going on that the entire world literally is taking notice of. Two weeks before this chapter came out, there were marches in Tokyo protesting police brutality and racism. And you're going to put this out now. What the fuck? I, I really don't like it. Let's okay. talk about Magu-chan, Nick. Let's warm our soul. Oh, breath of fresh air. <laughs> Chapter two, the boy Ren Fujisawa. We get introduced to Ru- more to Ruru's friend Ren in this chapter, and we find out that, oh, he's got a crush on her. He's got a schoolboy crush on her. And of course, Magu is still hanging around with Ruru. He's still being the god of destruction, that wacky squid eldritch being. Look at him. And uh, we find out that he has been reading. Uh... <laughs> Hang on, let me do this. Correct. I have been. I pass the day engrossed in literary texts. Given that I shall rule over the lowly human race one day, I decided best for me to understand you lowly humans' modern way of life. And then it turns out he's been reading her shoujo manga. <laughs> and he's just like, there was one tome among your collection I could not decipher. What is this? And it turns out it's actually a BFF book. It's a, it's a best friend's book. That she had in elementary school. So he equates it to like, ah, yes, it is like my disciples book that my followers etched their names in blood into. (laughs) And then she's like, oh, you can have this. It's my old book. I'll write in the first page and then you can make friends this way. And he's like, yes. (laughs) Lifting it over his head. Ren comes over. And uh, he's like, yeah, I've got, I had something to give you. And of course, he sees Magu and he's like, what is that? <laughs> because it's this weird one eyed eye beam shooting squid creature. So he gives she Ruru gives him the whole explanation. And uh, <laughs> she says, after giving this explanation, so yada, 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 he says he wants to make friends. <laughs> so, uh Magu demands that Ren make offerings and worship him. But that's how you make friends. I mean, that's how we became friends, Chris. I mean, and I, I reached out to you on Skype mm-hmm. after finding out that you liked manga. And you were like, make me offerings and worship me. And I said, <laughs> yeah. okay, Mr. <laughs> and that's how our relationships continue to this day. The Lamentations have saved, friends. yeah, just as, as powerful as they were back then. So... Turns out that Ren's got a gift for for Ruru. Gift certificates to uh, the only shopping mall in the area. So this is kind of a rural area. Uh, We have to kind of hammer it in here. So um, (laughs) there's a very silly moment where, you know, Ren's like, hey, so, you know, you want to go shopping? And Ruru's like, oh, really? For real? Are you a god? And Magu just goes, did someone say god? (laughs) This is so fucking cartoonish. So Rand's like, yeah, you know, I know your mom's busy. So, yeah, we got to watch out for each other. And internally, he's just like, oh, I invited her out. Yes, it's like a date. Yay. And Mog is going with them, too. And, of course, Ren's upset about this because he's tagging along on their date. So um, Ru- Magu witnesses the way that Ren and Ru are interacting, looks at the shoujo Maga again and is like, I see these are feelings of affection. And, of course, he's immediately found out. So Ren pulls Magu aside and is like, shut the fuck up. 
uh, Maku is like, ah, if you lack the courage to confess, then I shall take pity and assist you. Hear ye, this boy wishes to perish. I love the fucking way Magu talks is what I'm saying. It's so funny. So basically, Magu demands that Ren basically become his friend slash destruction disciple in order to buy his silence. And so Ren's like, yeah, okay. So they end up going to the shopping mall the next day. Um, Ren spots Rue admiring a little hair ornament, but she's like, oh, it's kind of expensive, though, and I should use the uh, gift certificates you gave me responsibly. Uh, so Ren, of course, you know, like gets the idea and he starts and he goes to buy the the ornament afterwards. Meanwhile, in the food court, Magu's loading up on burger and fries, eating and eating and eating, eating too much. Uh, and then because of that, all of his energy is overflowing. He's gotten too much power and he's so fat and bloated that he can't focus his abilities. He's just, it's just going to erupt out of him. So, uh, Rue's running around trying to figure out what the hell to do. And she's like, Marina is going to blow up if I don't get him to safety. And so, uh, Ren grabs Magu from Rue rushes outside and he's like, listen, I don't know what the hell you are, but I told you not to put Ruru in danger. So don't take this personally. And he just runs outside and chucks Magu all the way up in the air and he explodes. And Ren afterwards is like, what the hell is this? You've got to get rid of him. But of course, Ruru's like, he's my friend. So she's not going to do that. And then she's like, hey, you saved the day, Ren. You really are dependable. Thank you. And so he's like, oh, it's fine. Sure. So Ren decides that Magu's got to be hanging out around Ru. He's going to protect her from the God of Destruction. But before she leaves, he's like, oh, by the way, I got this little ornament for you. And she's like, oh, thank you. I'm sure it'll look great. I'm going to put it on right away. And she puts it on Magu's head. Aww. That's what she So that's the end, end of the chapter. And of course, Ren's like, God damn, that stupid octopus. So <laughs> very cute chapter. Nice introduction to this character, and uh, hey, you know, more than just the two characters to bounce off each other, there's an extra little dynamic to throw in there. Yeah, I, I, I think this was a really fun chapter, and Magu himself is very hysterical. I, I think this was a supremely funny chapter. It makes me really excited to see the next one. Mashal. Magic and Muscles. Mm, cream Puffs. Chapter 21, Mash Van Dead and the, and the Cream Charm. Chris, this is not a bad chapter of Mashal, but it no. is the worst chapter of Mashal, I think. Uh, I, 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 I said something about this. Uh, it may have been in the Discord. Uh, I still enjoy this chapter. But there is a level of storytelling in Mashal that came very close to making this a chapter I did not like. So I, I'm hoping for better things from Mashal in the near future, or at the very least, using a lot more humor to kind of avoid. We'll get into it. We'll get into it, I guess. So Lance is hanging out with Mash while Mash makes cream puffs, as he's wanted to do. And he's talking about the, the Magia Lupus and what they're going to have to do. And he's like, yeah, I don't like how we're, you know, we're sitting ducks. But because the school encourages interdorm competition... The dorm's locations are hidden from each other. <laughs> That's also the way it was in Hogwarts, from what I recall. So so he's like, so we need to figure out where their hiding place is. And we got to steal the coins back from them. And Mash just says, okay. And Lance is like, did you actually hear what I just told you? Whatever. 
Anyway, put on this dorm robe and Mash can't dress himself? Question mark? I don't know. He has great difficulty putting on the robe. At that moment, uh, Lemon approaches them and uh, says, oh, it's Tom. Tom, the captain of the, the one broom Quidditch. Just or, call yes, it Quidditch. Quidditch. <laughs> Quidditch. So Tom wakes up in the infirmary and he looks, you know, like he's got, you know, hollow cheeks and he doesn't look very good. And he and uh, he um, is not doing very well. And they're like, what happened? And he's like, I don't really remember. Uh, I remember waking up and, I, you know, I, I had this dream like the, the night I collapsed. I dreamt I was trapped and stuffed in a dark box. I was conscious but couldn't speak. And it went on for hours. Uh, so. Mash is like, Captain's really shook up. He needs a cream puff. Good old Mash. Always looking out for uh, people. You know, it couldn't hurt. Lemon asks how Tom feels now. And Tom's like, I feel woozy. And I don't feel any magic inside me. I can't cast spells right now. It's like it was sucked out of me. So Lance looks around and is like, there's a lot of patients in the infirmary right now. And they all have had their magic temporarily drained. And just when the headmaster was called to the bureau, what a disaster has struck Hogwarts while Dumbledore is away. How could this have happened? <laughs> so uh, Lemon thinks quietly to herself for a minute and then she turns to Mash and is like, here, take this. And it's a potato. It's a kind of shoddily made little little doll that has a bow similar to uh, Lemon's bow. And she's like, this is creamy. It's a good luck charm I made. And I've been feeling anxious, so, you know. And then Mash says, is this ribbon your... And Lemon cuts him off by punching him in the nose. I don't know what he was implying. I think he's saying, is it your ribbon? Because it looks exactly... It looks identical to the ribbon she wears on her head. I think it's supposed to be a little cream puffed person. I guess the idea is she wants to be seen she's obviously got a crush on mash so maybe it's that she doesn't want him to know that even though afterwards she's like keep creamy with you at all times and think of me when you look at her she's a soon soon i guess you're right chris i i can't i can't think of a better explanation so yeah Uh, but she's worried for mash is the point so it's a little sweet late at night a mash and lance are walking around and Lance is like, yeah, the Maggie Lupus, they've got to be behind this and, and stuff. And Mash is like, should we really be walking around after school hours? <laughs> <laughs> fucking nerds. Uh, Doubt uh, has come along as well as Finn. And uh, Lance says, why are you two here? And Doubt's like, I want the coins. And he flips off Lance. And Finn's like, I don't want to be alone. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to relate a lot to Finn. <laughs> <laughs> and so Match is like, I feel bad for them. <laughs> Let them come with us. So Lance is kind of worried about this, but he doesn't object. Doubt points and he spotted Lemon. And Doubt's like, she's cute from every angle. He starts to call out to her, but Lance stops him and says, oh, something's wrong. And sure enough, Lemon is moving like a puppet. Oh, no, the puppet guy got her. And she like even turns around suddenly and she's got no eyes and she's a puppet. Oh, creepy and they've had to like hide around the corner from when she turns around and then doubt because he's a weirdo is just like 
how can she still look so good without any eyes? Just what kind of stuff am I into? I got a real laugh out of that. That was like the one joke in this chapter that really got a big laugh at me because I just like this weird moment. Of, what is, what am I into? What does this mean? Eyeless women? What's wrong with me? <laughs> so uh, they keep uh, following after the puppetified uh, lemon. Uh, but as she goes around a corner, they lose sight of her and there's just a door. There's just a wall in front of them. They're like, what the hell? Where where'd she go? It seems like it's a dead end. And there's also a creaking sound surrounding them and it's freaking Finn out. And seemingly only Finn can hear it. Uh, he's like, oh, I heard something. It's like wood creaking. And Doubt's like, shut up. Oh, now I hear it. Damn it. Uh, but Lance just takes out his wand and casts Disclose. And a magic seal appears and a hidden doorway appears on the ground. And so, yeah, Lance is like, yeah, I mean, this is the limit of my magic. So we'll need some other way to actually open it up. Uh, but doubt spells don't seem to work on it. So they're like, what are we going to do? So Mash takes a suit of armor from off the wall, carries it over, sticks the sword underneath the crack of the doorway and uses the suit of armor as a lever to just pry it open like a crowbar just Pops this was my favorite thing the chapter because the doorway goes flying up in the air the door goes flying <laughs> out of the tower of the school and so doubt and finn are watching this happen and this was my favorite joke of the chapter because finn says he actually pried it open and doubt says well yeah dude it's mash <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact it goes flying into the distance and not it's not enough that he didn't just open the door he, he actually didn't open the door he ripped the entire door from the ground and it just goes flying into the air and i just like the idea there was so much momentum behind it it's just off into the distance now like somewhere in some like a remote section of the woods this giant door is just gonna fall <laughs> So, of course, they're like, all right, well, Lemon's in here, along with the Magia Lupus. And Mash takes a moment to look at the little cream puff doll that Lemon made for him. And so uh, he thinks about how Lemon told him, don't do anything risky. And he apologizes and says, I'm going to have to take the risk. And so the four of them set off together down into the doorway, where seemingly creaky puppets await them. So, like I said, not a bad chapter. Just yeah. we're used to mash chapters being great so i i like this chapter for a lot of parts the part i hate is that uh lemon has not shown up in the series for anything of real note since her kind of introduction chapter and then the next major chapter about her is her giving the main hero something being like uh think about me while i'm off on the sideline and then she becomes like a defeated character she yeah. has appeared in the series but to no like really significant note and i don't want to like i'm not going to be like bash is misogynistic or it, it's just it's another one of those situations where it's like jump has problems oftentimes with female characters just being around and existing um and maybe we're going to get more to it here. Obviously, we're kind of at the start of everything, but it is something where I was like, okay, um, I would like to see more. I don't particularly like that this particular thing happened, but I did enjoy the jokes of this chapter, at least. And, I mean, that's the heart of Nash, I guess. I think that, I mean, like, if this, if Finn had been put in this situation, we would have been like, 
all right. I mean, he hasn't really done anything up to this point, but okay. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Like we didn't. It's a shame that there's at this point two female characters in all of Mashal, and one had love magic, and the other one has done nothing and been defeated. Uh, so I would hope to see better as Mash is is yeah. starting to more comfortably make the transition from comedy series into a more straightforward battle manga, I would like to see and hope that we can address some of these things going forward. Mm. Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Ding! Your plot twist is ready. (laughs) Chapter 7, Time Paradox Ghost Rider. (laughs) So, um, last time, the manga was not... the, The volume of Jump didn't arrive. Uh, for Tepe, and he started getting freaked out about it. So he, you know, explains the narration that he had waited until midnight, but the issue of Jump just never arrived in the future. So he started to think, like, okay, uh, who knows? Uh, If Jump arrives again next week, that's all that really matters. And for right now, I've got, you know, 12 issues stocked up so that, you know, uh, I'll have at least an idea of what to do. But after that point... If the jump issue never arrives again, then I'm going to just have to also make up White Knight's story in addition to making up the artwork. And I don't know if I can do that because my art is already such a downgrade from the original. There's no way I'm smart enough to continue writing the story as well. Oh, Tepe. You hate yourself so much. (laughs) So he's thinking about that and he's thinking about how great White Knight has been. And he's like, oh, my God, it's hard to imagine that a mere human being produced this story in art. And I mean, it's impossible for me to draw the rest. I'm not cut out for this. It's beyond my level. So the next Monday arrives. The time arrives when the issue of Jump is supposed to appear. And it does. And it's like, okay, well, it skipped an issue for some reason. But then it appeared again, like nothing had gone wrong. But he opens up the volume of Jump and it reads, in memoriam, the author of White Knight, Itsuki Aino Sensei, suddenly passed away on April 6, 2031. We understand this is coming as a great shock. Our sincere condolences. Because of this, the chapter of Why Night that appeared in issue 19 will be the final installment. And we pass our, you know, heartfelt prayers to its guy. May she rest in peace. And of course, Tepe is shocked. And he's just like, Aino's dead. And he starts freaking out. And one of the things that I do appreciate about this chapter is that he doesn't go, oh, no. I have to draw White Knight on my own now. He's just like, no, that person that I've met and I know and I care about is going to die at such a young age. He's going to die at like less than 30 years old. This is so tragic and horrible. And he's crying and he's falling to his knees and screaming. And some time passes. It gets to, you know, to be nightfall. And he's just, you know, left sitting with his own thoughts, thinking, still thinking about the fact that Aino's going to die really, 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 really young. And so he's thinking to himself, like, well, if there's like a time divergence, what's going to happen to her? What's going to happen to the Aino that I actually personally know? Is she going to suffer the same fate as the original? Or have I changed her life completely because I started drawing it first? Maybe she can avoid death. Was Shonen Jump coming here from the year 2031 so that I would change the course of time leading to a future where I know doesn't die? 
but then what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> so he keeps he's thinking about this and he's like, oh my God, did the jump keep teleporting to my microwave for some other purpose to make me continue drawing it? What What's going on? I don't understand. I can't do this. And he starts yelling to himself, what am I supposed to do? I don't understand. And the robot head perched on top of the microwave that had melted into it goes, dark, dark, future thunder. And he's like, the robot's talking. <laughs> And lightning comes out of the microwave and curves around and zaps into the wall, the door of the refrigerator that it had melted into. And Tepe, of course, is freaking out as this happens. And the layer of crumbled gook on top of the refrigerator starts to peel away. And there's a message on it that's partially distorted that reads, draw Tepe Sasaki. The source of death is not yet, yet, yet eliminated. Continue drawing White Knight and save Itsuki. And we get a bit of narration as Tepe reacts in shock to this. The narration says, this is a story about moving forward into the future. A story that leads to a tomorrow that was never supposed to happen. So this is fucking goofy as shit. <laughs> I can't believe that our concerns about Tepe having all of this weird, like letting him off the hook in terms of him making this immoral decision has just let him off the hook completely by forcing him to do this instead of him deciding to do it. So I think I, I, I'm not, I, all right. So I, I believe in our discord within the past week, I think it was Lou Ramayasha who is also on the show manga Mavericks. So you can always check that one out. I, f- I feel like I recall them saying, basically predicting this exactly. They were like, I bet there's going to be a note from the future that Itsuki dies of sad that, girl yeah. anime disease and he has to write it to save her. And at the time being like, fuck, that's probably what's going to happen, isn't it? Because it's a really dumb thing, but that's what's going to happen. And as I read this chapter, I was like... Oh, she does die of sad anime girl disease, it looks like. Uh, I want to be optimistic towards this. But here's the thing. I have no faith in this series. <laughs> like, And I don't mean that necessarily as a negative. But I don't have faith in this series quite yet. The first three chapters were pretty good, but I'm like, I, you know, I'm not that strongly related to it so i feel like this this thing could go kind of sideways uh but um i don't really have a butt this is weird (laughs) chris i am ecstatic about this (laughs) for this series to just be like you know what Full-blown time paradox goofiness. We're all in on this shit. And yeah, you better write that manga and continue to plagiarize this or else that girl's going to die. It's your kids, Marty. This is fucking great. It's the only... Chris, at best, this could be a weird, awesome sci-fi story. At worst, it is going to be a phenomenally entertainingly stupid sci-fi story. 
this the floor has been raised so much by this decision. Like, <laughs> I like to see in my mind. There's a mental image where you're on a train and it says like uh, the uh, the SS Time Paradox Ghost Rider, and there's currently a bridge. Like there's a fork, and one road leads straight into like a bright sun in the cosmos, and the other one just takes a 90 degree turn straight down, and you're so excited. You're like, I don't care which way the switch goes. Choo choo! Look, I will be fully honest. I would have loved for Time Paradox Ghost Rider to be a series that actually used a bizarre premise to suck you in and to discuss theories and ideas and concepts related to creation and creativeness and artistic uh, struggles um, and to do that very well. But the way that the series was heading in the last two, three chapters, it was kind of one of those things where I kind of like, it was something that made me optimistic and worry every single week that it felt like it was a touch away from being amazing and a touch away from being really stupid and compromising a lot of stuff going all the way on. He has to write the series or she'll die is. (laughs) And, and his microwave sends him fucking messages from the future. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're like, huh? Huh? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I might be on board with this. There's a moment where, because I, I, I've been listening to Discord a lot, and I know that there are some people who are like, yeah, I don't like the idea that like uh, Tatsuki has kind of become like the pixie dream girl for Tepe in a yeah, way. Right. And I do agree with that. But at the same time, as you propose this, because here's the thing, I don't really want it to be the former. I want it to go down the ladder route where this is the dumbest side <laughs> I train wreck. Rooting for the train wreck. And I'm yeah. just like, it's flying through the air. It'll be either land or be a, or, and be phenomenal or it'll crash and burn. And you're like, please let it crash and burn. <laughs> I'm in the back of the train. I'm just like, wake me up if we start to crash. <laughs> and I'm on, and I'm in front of the steam engine like, more fuel! <laughs> All right. Uh all right, Nick, let's talk about something. Let's talk about We Never Learn. Question 164, Pizza Bet equals Sleepy Beauty of the Literary Forest, part five. So we get a time skip. Uh, all the days have passed. All the events that we saw Rook, or, uh, Firmino have with, with Uega occur. We we see that the, the, the three characters get their test results back. Hey, they all pass. All this stuff we already saw. So we're Chris, kind of It's like seeing timelines diverging. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So uh we, we have a moment where Firmino's like, hey, you know, congratulations for, for graduating. And he's like, Yeah, you know, congratulations to both of us. Oh, and how how's your ankle doing? She's like, Oh, it's you know, it's much better thanks to you. And Yuega's like, Well, I guess that my role as a, a tutor and a nurse are finally coming to a close. And she's like uh, he says that right before she was about to admit that her leg was better. Her probably. leg was fine. Yeah, and he's she, he's like, oh, weren't you about to say something? She's like, oh, no, it's nothing. It's just that, you know, maybe this is the last time we can sit here and talk like this, because once we graduate, we're gonna go our separate ways. And she thinks to herself, oh, and this relationship will be over. And he says, but it's what you love, right? And of course, she's like, well, what do you mean? I don't love, love. And he's like, stars. You like stars? She's like, oh, right, yeah. 
And he says, you know what? <laughs> feeding, <laughs> feeding her her lines. <laughs> and he's like, look, I know that you can overcome any fears and self-doubt. That's how powerful your abilities are. And I believe in your ability to become an amazing astronomer. And I really hope that you'll face the future with total dedication to what you love. It's a very sweet moment. And she says, ha ha, you're making me blush. Thank you. And in her mind, she's saying, I love you more than anything, anyone in the world. And she just can't say it. And he's like, well... Yeah, but that whole thing about overcoming your fear of doubt is just parodying what my dad would say. And suddenly, we have kind of the hook to all this here. As we think back to the day that they sat on the park bench kind of dealing with the dad drama before. And Uega's saying, you know, it's, oh, I used to dream about my dad and cry a lot. And Fumino asks, so I don't know if it's okay to ask this, but what kind of person was your dad? And Uega says, well, honestly, he was a weird guy. And we see like this sort of collage of basically a story of Uega's dad passing by some uh, hoodlums, I guess. Let's use that word. And trying to say like, hey, could you guys pick up your trash? And then they threaten him. And then it Here ends. is a bag that is labeled with the helpful label trash bag. Yeah. <laughs> And then it ends with him sharing food and inviting them to literally have dinner at his house with his family. So he's like, yeah, my dad just was kind of that honest and sincere and firm of a person. He was, you know, everyone just ended up adoring him. And she's like, well, it sounds like he was a great guy. And he's like, yeah, I always wanted to be like him, but he was so big and far away. It always felt like I would never catch up. So Fumia says, well, it's okay. You don't have to catch up. I mean, your dad was your dad. You're you. What's wrong with that? Or rather, what I mean is, you're great because of the way you are, Yuiga. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, thank you for that, basically. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's very, uh, he's very taken aback. I mean, there's a moment of Fumito being embarrassed, like, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't have said anything, blah, blah, blah. But for me, Yuiga seems to really appreciate it. As they're walking home, he even says, like, thank you. That's the first time anyone's ever said anything like that to me so it means a lot and he stops he says so after we graduate we're all going to go on our separate paths but i mean if you're open to it and Fumina starts to blush <gasps> and he's like maybe i could still be your son and she's she's smiling and then aruka is there and then fumino's world crashes down on her and Yuiga's like, oh, hey, Aruka, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, well, I wanted to speak with you. And we're reminded about that after her exams are done, she's going to leave. And suddenly Fumino's crutch hits the ground. And she's like, oh, yeah, got to get going in separate ways. Let's all do our best. And runs off completely, just doesn't even care about trying to fake the ankle injury anymore. And she says, oh, my dad wanted me to go to the store. Got to go. Bye. And Yuiga's just like, what, what, what about your ankle? And... We get Firmino's little text botch saying, it's okay. I'm totally fine. I knew it all along. You know, good luck. Uh, good luck, Aruka. It, it was just a matter of time. I, I didn't know what he was about to say. So y you have my support. And he now he knows about my ankle. So it's it's fine. doesn't matter. He, he You see, I'm fine. I could smile. I could do everything. And we see in the background, Aruka confesses her love for Uega. And she's, uh, we see Firmino just around the corner, hugging her crutch. Crying and smiling, saying, I guess is my punishment for lying about my ankle. It's all over now. 
Aww. It's a very sad chapter. It is. Uh, this was definitely a, a much-needed chapter for this story arc of Fuminos because it does a lot of things. It really demonstrates that she and Yuiga actually have gotten really close uh, together in the time that they've been practically living together. Uh, and it does definitely seem almost like a point where Yuga's almost like almost going to ask her out. It seems like uh, when he's suggesting that he remain important in her life. Um, but then there's that really big and very relatable freak out that she has where she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she's clearly not fine. She is coming a part of the scenes because this idea that she had that she could just kind of like hold on to a dream uh, is, is kind of like falling apart in front of her. And she basically has kind of like had this idea that this is the way that things are go- we're going to go for a while. And she was just kind of like trying to push it out of her mind. And now it's all coming flooding in. And uh, yeah, I mean, like we've got about four more chapters left of this. And it seems like there are, is a lot that you can do with this yeah. uh, currently. So I, I like, I did really like this. So. I like that. We're taking new angles with this. I like that. We're kind of focusing on this idea of like, Oh, well, what if this kind of relationship focuses a little bit more on Uega's father a little bit? And we can bring that into it. We really didn't address that with what? Aruka at all. No, not at all. Yeah. And no, <laughs> well, Aruka's part did involve that a little bit, but it also seemed to be much more about his father's death as opposed to who his father was mm. as a person and living up to that. It's a different angle to True. take as opposed to the Ogata route, which did nothing new and just said nothing. they got together. So <laughs> I enjoy that. I really enjoy that we're going to see Aruka confess because, mm-hmm. fuck, how does this end in a Fumino route in that, if that's the case? I mean, let's... Well, a lot of things have changed. I mean, a lot of things have changed on Yuiga's yeah. end of that. I, so. I, Yeah, absolutely. But I definitely am curious curious to see that because again the ogata route sidestepped all that by just being like oh she did so uh here we go but you know let's see i think that's i mean honestly yeah this particular chapter is really bringing into focus a lot of the shortcomings of the ogata stuff because it was like how do you deal with certain things that have happened because these are what if scenarios and you're supposed to see how things diverged and then you just had to have a thing where it's like, yeah, we sidestep all of those entirely. <laughs> Forget about that. <laughs> there, here's the story of how Yuiga and Ogata got together in one chapter and then spent eight chapters recognizing that they had gotten together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Z equals 156. Two scientists. Cool color uh, page there. Of uh, Senku in the foreground, Zeno in the background. We see Senku as a kid when he's 10 years old trying to do rocket experiments and stuff. And he's trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with his rockets as they're, you know, exploding and going off unstably and stuff like that. And uh, so Taiju is like trying to read a book and he's like, I don't get it. So he's like, oh, you can look at the secrets to making rockets on the computer. And he's like, oh, you understand English? That's crazy. And Senku's like, I mean... Not really. I can say this is a pen in English. That's about it. More than I could say in a different language when I was 10. So, But he says, by doing this, you know, most of the academic haters are in English. And also, I can actually reach out to, pe- reach out to people via the Internet. And I can, you know, get them to contribute to stuff. 
And there is a cute scene where like we cut to the Johnson Space Center for NASA and like, oh, we're getting emails from school kids. This one's like, if space is black, why is the sky blue? Oh, that's cute. Here's a some one from a little boy in Japan named Senku. I bet he worked really hard to write this in English. Let's see what he says. And he's just got these complicated documents. <laughs> and there's like a little note list of one where it's like, sorry, I don't know the English words for this. <laughs> but it's really, really complicated. There's diagrams and stuff. And they're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, one of them says, what this boy is doing borders on criminal acts. <laughs> but it turns out that Zeno is there. And he looks very weird without his without his markings. His forehead's huge. Jesus. Uh, but he replies to uh, Senku's email. So he's like, yeah, it looks like what you're trying to do here. You're going to need this particular kind of nozzle. And you're going to need this. And you're going to need this kind of equipment. Because your measuring equipment is probably cheap. And then he signs off with... Science is elegant. So. But he also signs it Dr. X and not any further. So Senku, you know, looks up the equipment that Zeno had recommended that he use. And of course, it's all very super expensive. He gets on a plane and flies to America to meet his dad. And and so, of course, Byakuya is like, oh, Senku, it's so nice to see you. Did you miss your old daddy? He's just like, hand over the credit card that the NASA scientists get used to get research. I need all this equipment. Bye, dad. <laughs> what a loving what a loving family relationship they have. He goes and gets expensive equipment and he starts doing more science and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he keeps in context with uh, Z. Uh, he keeps in contact with Zeno over the time doing experiments and stuff like that. And uh, he mentions to Taiji, like, you know, because Taiji's like, hey, Senku, your goal is to make a big rocket. So shouldn't he be teaching you, like, useful science to make that happen? And Senku's like, well, if we knew which parts of science were useful, everything would be easy. Like, how to get rich quick by somehow only betting on winning horses at the races. But I still lack all kinds of knowledge. Science is, and as he's starting to say that, he gets seemingly a message, I guess, on his tablet that reads, science is power. And a message from Xena reads, for instance, I don't have to explain how your little rocket and a ballistic missile are fundamentally the same thing. With science in hand, the cleverest among us could rule over the ignorant masses. It's truly an elegant power, Dr. Senku. But Senku, as a kid, says, like, I'm not into that stuff, though. I just want to know everything about the world and the cosmos. I want to know everything. I want to know all of it. Ten billion percent. For some reason at NASA. <laughs> I do love this. <laughs> it's such a, Like, there's a day. For some reason, this one <laughs> random woman. <laughs> there's a day at NASA where they're like, Hey, uh, we need icebreakers. So I came up with a list of hypotheticals. If you were in a Stone Age world, what would you use science for? So I was like, this game sucks. And one was like, I would use it to dominate the world. He's <laughs> like, I would give, I would, I would raise a red flag about myself. <laughs> He's just like, I would recreate weapons of science from scratch and rule as a dictator. And Biaki is like. So you'd be an asshole. Good to know. <laughs> it reminds me of when I back when I worked at the the state government. 
all the time. Anytime we had a big meeting, it was always like, we need icebreakers. And icebreakers are the most uncomfortable, stupid shit on the planet. Never open a meeting with an icebreaker. And this is exactly what it feels like. Like, all right, I've got something fun. Let's play a hypothetical. You all go back in time. What would you do? And someone's just like, kill baby Hitler. And you're like, well, that's not the way I want this meeting to start. And it's the same thing here where you're just like, what would you do if you were sent back in time to the Stone Age? I would dominate the populace and rule the world with my power. They're like, all right. So budgets are getting a little out of control and we're having too many parties. So we're going to wrap everybody's birthday into once a month. This is even more concerning the answer that Zeno gives because – what he says, because he's like, I would rule as a dictator. And Biakia's like, eh, you know, whatever crazy situation, man, you find yourself in, scientists are definitely sure certain to pop up. There will always be people greedy enough to want to know every last detail about how the world works. Like my son. And Zeno's like, in that case, I would confront these others. And in that primitive so world, we would learn who's science is superior. So it's like if he had said, like, I would go back in time and kill baby Hitler. And you were like, I would go back and make sure that all the children in the world were safe. In that case, I would confront those who were trying to protect baby Hitler and slaughter them. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> you are like, hey, I don't. Do you think Dr. Xenon's evil? I'm like, well, he does tap his fingers together thusly and cackle to himself a lot. Also, his address is a steel dome at the top of a mountain so where it thunderstorms a lot. So I think the answer is yeah. I, I talked to his neighbor the other day and he said that the Neighborhood Watch Association has been lodging constant complaints against him because he's trying to dig a, a moat filled with alligators around his facility. He says one of his hobbies is, quote, piranha breeding and flamethrower training. So I think he's a bad guy. But we, you know, kind of see that Senku, we get also a reminder of what Senku did in his youth. You know, apparently he did stay in contact with Zeno, this science is elegant guy. But then we also see that, yeah, he went on that whole expedition to Africa to, to, to study there. And so he actually way early in the series when he was talking about like, oh, yeah, I went to Africa and studied there. And apparently he spent a lot of time researching all throughout his youth and becoming an, an amazing scientist, you know, so. And it's nice to know that Senku's uh, knowledge had not all to do with just he read books and, and was a crazy scientist in his backyard and stuff. But he actually went out and gathered as much knowledge about the world that he could. And uh, we see uh, apparently while he is visiting NASA, because it's the same rocket park that we saw earlier, and he's you know studying uh, some of the structures and uh, stuff there, Zeno actually comes up next to him. And they both stare up at it together before Byakuya comes by in, in order to meet him. And then, of course, you know, Senku flies home. And we just kind of end just on this big two-page spread of Senku and uh, Zeno in this uh, divided shot as they're you know going to be facing off in the future. So this is a cool introduction to the dynamic between these two. And I do get this sense of anticipation for when the two of them are actually going to square off. Uh, Zeno is a fucking cartoon character, but that's fine. So yeah. I, I enjoy this flashback for how it creates the parallels between them and their differences. It establishes half of it in some of the dumbest ways possible. 
But I really, really enjoy that, like, the last four pages have almost no text to them whatsoever. And it's a, a story told entirely through facial expression and images. You can see how similar they are as they mm-hmm. look to a rocket in magnificence. And you can also see that there is a very clear divide in what they believe science should be used for. It's 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 very great storytelling. And Zeno's wearing black and Senku's wearing white. <gasps> yeah, so. yeah, there's that too. That's that old chestnut. <sighs> so let's just go to Black Clover. We're just gonna zoom Mission Yozakura. Mission Yozakura family. Chapter 40 Mission 41. Sosuke's license renewal. That's right. It's everyone's favorite character. Sosuke, the fucking awful spy. Anyway, he's in danger of having his spy license revoked because he hasn't done a mission in all month and he's supposed to do that. This cute girl comes up to him and is kind of flirting on him and stuff like that. And then it's like, there are men that are after me. And so this kid's like, I'll protect you. Turns out it's the Yakuza. And he was completely underestimating that. So he's tries to get her away. And uh, instead, it turns out that she's actually an agent who is like committing crimes. So they almost get away on the subway. She abandons him and leaves him behind. It turns out she's a thief known as Tama. She's a capper who stole from the mafia. And so they're going to you know, kill him. But then the Yakuza track her down and they find her and they find the guy that uh, was she was going to deal business with. They're going to shoot her. Oh, Sosuke protects her from the bullet, but he's not dead. And it turns out Tayo's there, too, and he beats up the bad guys. There is one nice thing in this chapter, which is that there is a cool gun flip move that Tayo does. Literally, there's one good panel in this entire chapter. And then he beats up the bad guys. And then uh, the cat burglar runs away and is, and she's just like, oh, you're such a stupid idiot, Sosuke, but I like stupid guys. And then Tayo's still there and he's like, hey, um, I should like bring you to like, you know, be, you know, patched up at the mansion. And Sosuke's like, I can't believe that Tayo guy showed up here. And Sosuke and Tayo's like, I registered you on the mission I just completed because your license was going to get revoked. So I renewed it. You're welcome. And that's it. This is a stupid chapter, and it stars the worst character in this series. So, all right, let's talk about Black Clover, page two fifty five, exploding life. So last time, Noel, what that mean? I don't know. Uh, so last time, Noel struck Metascula, and it looked like it was a decisive blow, but aha. It wasn't. Uh, we see. Uh, I think I called her Verica, and I don't think that's her name. I, but I forget what her name is. It's very similar. Vanica or Vanica, Vanica is, is is the name of the girl who is the host Vanica. of the devil. So. Vanica basically says like, "Oh, I like your spirit there, but too bad when it comes down to that. When it comes down to it, attacks like that won't work out on and me." And then she's like, "Nope, not trying to. You know, I'm not letting you kill." And releases like a point blank sea dragon's roar but uh metal school counters it and it just rains all around her it's worthless and noelle just kind of falls to the ground water evaporating off of her she's naked for some reason uh, well, i will say that the, the, the that the two panel sequence of her unleashing the sea dragon is actually really cool because there's just this giant dragon's head and then another monster just c- completely disintegrates it from within it's really mm-hmm. cool so there's always a bigger fish Kind of. Fan of Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Hyphen Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so yeah, she's basically like, nope, see, it's pointless. Your attacks can't do anything. And yeah, Noelle is naked because, uh, for some reason, I guess every time she w- puts on her water armor, she destroys her regular clothes in the process. Uh, I guess she wouldn't look enough like a mermaid if she was wearing anything but a she-shell bikini on top. So there's that. Uh, uh, Vanica is like, hey. So what was your name again? Noelle gives the whole thing like, my, you know, my name's Noelle, Clover Kingdom Royal, and a magic knight with the black bulls. And Vanica's like, oh, hey, I got a great idea. Let's not kill Lola uh, Pachika after all. And <laughs> like, middle school is like, why? <laughs> I thought we should just destroy her. And Vanica's basically like, because I'm bonkers. I want to take her with us. And make this lady really angry, because then she's so much more interested in a fight. Like that Aesir person long ago. So, you know, like, I took a little kid hostage back then, and then Aesir got really, really, really strong. So, the thought is, if we take Lola Pachika, then you're going to get a lot stronger, too. Won't you, Noelle? And middle school is like, (sighs) fine, basically. And that's what they do. They're, she's, they're going to take Laura Chica with them. Uh, Tongue dude's like, hey, where are you going? I'm just about to beat him. And uh, Vanica's like, don't talk to me. You're gross. Actually, I don't need you anymore. And then all of the five people she brought with them <laughs> explode. Just a massive, huge explosion. They are enormous if you look on the map like the two page spread that they do where they all explode uh i presume like wait why are you doing this because like because i'm evil (laughs) i told you i don't care about people i mean come on you're in the cartoonishly evil empire you should have expected this uh so it's a very crazy thing all that happens we cut over to the fight that (laughs) I forgot was still happening because so much stuff has Paused, happened. Yeah. Uh, where Yami is fighting Dante, and Dante's like, ah, very good. Well, you're truly magnificent, but I do hate this magic, but here it is. As a special favor, I'll show it to you. The true power of a human devil host. And Yami says, if that's the case, I'll show you the true power of a human. Uh, which isn't a cool he line. To, he tries to say, yeah, he tries to say it all cool, and it's very not <laughs> doesn't, cool. It doesn't come off that way. But I am interested to see how this happens, because now we're two for two of a member of the Dark Triad invading some group and coming out the pretty clear undisputed victor from it. We know Yami is a part of their plans. I wonder how this one ends. I'm I'm very interested to see it. And hey, someone's been positioned as like a, a rival for Noelle to have mm-hmm. to deal with in the future, giving her some big motivation to uh, get stronger. So that's nice. So yep. wait, this, this arc has been good for Black Clover in yes. terms of like, hey, the good guys have gotten knocked on their ass and they're going to need to actually pull themselves up and get better because things are depending on them. And there are personal stakes involved for a few of them. And with, you know, uh, with, you know, the Golden Dawn all getting wiped out. Uh, and now with Noelle, with her her super best friend that we spent just enough time getting to know that the fact that she was kidnapped in front of Noelle did mean something. So, mm-hmm. so I yeah. liked it. Uh, and now I'm sure Yami's just going to kick this guy's ass. So. Probably, <laughs> probably, but. 
Uh, all right. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, y'all. Uh, favorite chapter and MVP, Chris? <sighs> uh, it's so tough, I, isn't it? MVP I'm going to give to to Magu-chan from Magu-chan. Uh, I, that one seems to be pretty easy. Chapter of the week, I'm... Yeah, you go first. I, I need to think on this. I'm going to give my chapter of the week to My Hero Academia. I, like I said at the top of the show, I really liked the way that things are building up in that. I know that you didn't care as much for it, though, so I'm sure that that didn't help you. My MVP, however, is probably going to be a little bit of a surprise because I'm going with Rebecca from Eden Zero. I thought that this okay. was a standout chapter for her. I thought that she, like I said, came across as very admirable. I love the way that she is very concerned with other people and the way that her powers could have affected them. And, uh, yes, there was the whole thing with Abelia, but she tried to make things right with her too. And that was nice as well. So, um, all right. Uh, I, I tried to rationalize giving it to bone collection, but I can't, you tried. I really, there was a moment. I was like, was it the best? It's not, it's, 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 it's not, I, I'm going to give it to probably we never learn. Just because in the recapping of it, I felt like that was probably the chapter I enjoyed the most. Um, I don't think it was an amazing chapter we never learned, but I think it was very good in pretty much every level, which is ultimately all I really needed it to be. So, um, but I, there were others. There were others that were close. Black Clover was very good this week. Bone Collection, Doctor Stone. I think that there there were some good ones this week. Okay, I'm going to assume that someone set off some fireworks outside, hopefully. so Probably. People are dumb. By the way, uh, the audience picked Chainsaw Man as their favorite of the week, and Magu Chan is their MVP. Cool. All right. Well, guys, that is going to do it for the Kamanga Recap. I want to thank you all for joining us for the recording of the show, which we do on twitch.tv slash T Wednesdays starting around 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can check out our past episodes on weeklymongarecap.podbean.com. We also want to thank uh, people for supporting us on Weekly Manga Recaps uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash weeklymongarecap, I should say. Uh, you can also join our Discord server. Uh, check that place out. You can use that to you know have a lot of community discussion about the series that we're looking into for the recap uh, and also the recommendation. And the recommendation we're going to be doing this time, since Chris used his for the giveaway that we did. It's called Ron and the Gray World. This is a series about a young girl who has magical powers and she has a pair of magic shoes that let her take on the appearance of an adult. And uh, I don't really know anything about it beyond that and also that the artwork in it seemed interesting. So that's what we're going to be reading. Uh, Beyond that... Uh, thank you to uh, NinjaX3i for maintaining the Google spreadsheet that maintain that keeps records for a lot of stuff, including, of course, the MVP and uh, uh, favorite series uh, for the Weekly Mount Recap audience. Special thanks as well go out to Infamous Planet for making the framework for the visual stream of the show, to Winslow Cheddar and uh, Milo Jack Stillitz for making the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, and to uh, Steve Mann, Tarot Artist. That's going to do it. That's going to do it, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you next time right here. Actually, no, we're not at that part yet. Just, just, just goodbye to the audience.